Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah. When I think of the dance uh-huh. during this time, right? I think of the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> like, what would it be like if there was Leonardo and three Michelangelos? <laughs> you know what? I don't know. I would put Brian James as more of a Raphael. He's the Leonardo. Oh no. Yeah, Leonardo it, leads. No, 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 no. I was wrong. You know who I would think was the Raphael? Rat Scabies. Really? Yeah, broody. Broody, yeah. sarcastic. I can see Rat Scabies pouting and sleeping in a bathtub for a day. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to No Dogs in Space, everybody. I'm Marcus Parks. I'm Carolina Hidalgo. And we are on to part two of The Damned. Yes. So when we last left The Damned, the year was 1976, and the band had finally coalesced into a solid unit comprising of Captain Sensible, Rat Scabies, Brian James, and Dave Vanian. All the band needed by that point was a name, and Brian was the one who chose it. Although Brian in the earlier days denied having a reason for choosing the Damned, he later admitted to two cinematic sources. The first was the 1960 horror flick, Village of the Damned, which told the story of a group of murderous telepathic children terrorizing the British village of Midwich. The movie also has one of the best taglines of the decade, Beware the stare that will paralyze the will of the world. <laughs> Is it like a cat? <laughs> I've, been, I've been doing that alone in my office quite a bit this week. Ah. The other source was a movie that was more simply titled The Damned. In keeping with the punk's overall fascination with the Nazis, this one was about a wealthy German family who gave in to the Nazis' takeover of their country in the lead-up to World War II. So, like, the opposite of The Sound of Music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah The Damned. <laughs> I wonder what the songs were like. <laughs> oh, we're fine with the Nazis. We're fine with the Nazis. <laughs> I don't think Rodgers and Hammerstein had that, but that was pretty good. <laughs> so, with the name solidified, The Damned got management. Their first manager, who served for a very brief period of time, was John Crivine, or Criven, one of the two. 
but he was soon replaced by Andrew Zakowski. Oh, yeah, Andy. Andy. Yeah. Everyone needs a manager named Andy at one point in their career. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Andy knew the band because Andy worked with John. Okay. The previous manager. So when the band were rehearsing uh, with uh, John Criven's, like, you know, warehouse rehearsal place, Andy's coming around being like, you know what? I'll manage you guys. Yeah. Yeah. This guy, John, I I don't don't know. Well, I think John also got sick of him real fast. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And also, like, he wanted, uh, you know, the band to wear his clothes because he owned uh, Acme Attractions, which was like another clothing shop. Oh, right. Like Malcolm McLaren wanted the Sex Pistols to wear his clothes. Exactly. Except John would charge the band for the clothes. (laughs) So the band was like, we can't even afford food. Yeah. So we're going to go with this Andy guy. But unlike the other early punk bands who were sort of fumbling around in the dark, the Damned were able to deliver songs that Brian had been fleshing out since his days with Bastard back in Belgium. See, Brian had a stack of guitar riffs that hadn't quite gelled with any of the other musicians he'd played with over the years. But with Rat, Captain, and Dave, Brian was able to fully realize these riffs as actual songs. Such is the now classic track, Fan Club. songs like Fan Club and other classics like New Rose, Locked and Loaded, The Dam played their first gig opening for the Sex Pistols on July 6th, 1976. 76? 76. Or 6776 if you're British. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It works either way. The symmetry's nice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The Dam finally got to play their first gig Mm -hmm. because Malcolm McLaren booked them. Oh, Malcolm McLaren. Or at least allowed them to play. Uh, That's probably more more like like it. it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, there weren't a whole lot of bands that went with the Sex Pistols at the time. There weren't a whole lot of bands that like went with the style. So The Damned, it just kind of ended up being the band that was around that sounded good with the Sex Pistols, even if Malcolm McLaren didn't really like them very much. Oh, no, no. But, I mean, at first, like, The Damned goes on and they play. They play okay enough i mean yeah. it's it's a debut gig it's a first gig yeah first time playing those songs out live like i'm sure uh, i mean there is a recording of this 
show out there, but it's only it's on the like a five thousand pressing uh, record, like LP. The the just I just I couldn't get it. <laughs> Me I tried getting it, I couldn't. It's hard. It's hard. But uh, so I mean, they played obviously since they're supporting. There there are not a lot of people there, but mm-hmm. Chrissy Hine was there. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Chrissy Hine that we talked nice. about She's last like, episode in the Pretenders. <laughs> She's waving. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they play you know th- their songs like one of the two, uh, New Rose, See Her Tonight, Fan Club, of course. But pretty much it, they pretty much played every song they had so far. Yeah, which is about. 35 minutes. Yeah, but that's still, I think, pretty that, good. with a couple of covers, like that, I think it was a, ended up being about a 12-song set. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it worked really well. And then at the end of the night, the band go up to Malcolm, and they're like, all right, Malcolm, where's our pay? Mm-hmm. And Malcolm's like, yes, here's your five pounds. Yes. However, <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm was like, ah, you use the Sex Pistols PA, and I'm going to have to charge you for the rental fee. What a fucking dick. 25 pounds. <laughs> and the so guys, he, it was what? asking them for 20 pounds. More, yes. Yeah. Wow. He's like, can you give me money? <laughs> you managed to play with the Sex Pistols. Oh, fuck that guy. So they're just like, actually, that's what they said. Fuck that guy. Yeah. And they didn't pay. They just walked away. <laughs> yeah. I can see. Make me, you fuck. <laughs> oh, don't worry. He'll get back. He'll get back at them. And with that, the acrimonious relationship between the Damned and the Sex Pistols began. But just a month before that gig, another band had officially formed that would eventually become the most successful of the three original UK punk bands, or at least the biggest ones. That band was, of course, The Clash. Always say in 1970s London, there's three things to fall in love with: rock and roll, mm-hmm. getting stoned, mm-hmm. and Jenny Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd agree. Yeah. Why the hell not? Yeah, she was a real life person. Oh, really? Yeah. What yeah. was her deal? She was a 60s singer uh, who later was known, apparently, uh, <laughs> allegedly, to have lots of orgies, and then was found out to be a madam. Oh, really? Yeah, she sang that Witch's Brew song. Oh, I fucking love that song. Okay, well, that makes sense. Thank you, Clash. <laughs> but even though the competition between the Clash, the Sex Pistols, and the Damned was about to begin in earnest, everyone in the scene gathered for a gig two days before the Damned's first show at a place called Dingwalls on July 4th. <laughs> the headliners were the Flamin' Groovies, whom we'll hear more about later. And the supporting band were the Ramones from New York City and another band making waves in the local scene called... The Stranglers.
Now, as far as spiritual brothers go when it comes to other bands, the Stranglers are pretty similar to the Damned in that they started in the punk scene but continued to evolve as the years went on. Stranglers are a fucking great. great band. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And, and they're still playing. Yeah, they're still playing. And eventually, the Stranglers would earn themselves 23 UK Top 40 singles and become one of the de facto hip 70s bands to use in movie soundtracks in the mid-90s. Oh, well, you kids remember this one. like sun lays me down with my mind she runs throughout the night no need to fight never a frown with golden brown every time just like the last on her ship tied to the mast two distant lands takes both my hands Never a frown with golden brown. Or oh, that's a blast from the past, ain't it? <laughs> <laughs> I know I heard that somewhere. It's Snatch. I never saw that. Uh, really? I never saw Snatch. What did you do in college? Not see Snatch. <laughs> <laughs> so based off the first gig that the Damned played, the band was booked to play at the St. Albans School of Art. Yeah, that's when the Dan really hit like their performance into high gear. Right. Like that was the gig. I mean, as well as they could, there was like no stage. They said it looked more like a refractory. What's a refractory? It's like a study room. <laughs> refractory, I think. Fuck, I don't know, man. British are weird. <laughs> <laughs> All kinds of weird names for shit. I, I don't know. We're doing the best we can. Yeah, yeah. I, I know we learned it from you guys, but we don't have it down. Yeah. <laughs> so it was at this show where Captain Sensible grabbed some guy's beer. Uh, some say it was his beer, but who cares? It was beer. Mm-hmm. And he poured it all over himself and then lunged at a guy <laughs> and kicked him in the balls because he was just standing there talking. <laughs> talking and not paying attention? Yes. Uh. But that was like the moment where Captain Sensible stopped just standing there playing and he decided to go do something about it. Yeah, and that was sort of Captain Sensible from then on. You know, Captain Sensible, he became known as sort of the, he was the wild card, for yeah. lack of a better word, <laughs> like when when it came uh, to the damned, just in general when it came to musicians in the scene. Like, you didn't really know what Captain Sensible was going to do. But that's part of what made going and seeing the damned so much fun. Now, Shane Bradley had been absolutely captivated by the Damned when she saw him at their first live show. And that same energy was present a couple of weeks later when the Damned played the Nashville Rooms in London. Oh, yeah. They were booked to uh, open for Salt. Oh, Salt. I don't know Salt. I don't know Salt either. Uh, apparently, they were a band in the 70s. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not as opposed to a band from the 90s. Actually, there is a band named Salt from the 90s. <laughs> Does not surprise me. <laughs> so they were booked to open for the, the, obscure, the obscure salt. Right. And uh, they're playing their set, and it was pretty obvious, like, nobody was really into them. Maybe, like, a couple people. Maybe Chrissy Hine came back. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, like, they said there was, like, these long-haired hippies just sitting in the front, just sipping their beer and just staring at them. Yeah. 
So as they were playing their closing song, someone pulled the stage curtain and closed the curtain on them. (laughs) And so Rhett Scabies was like so incensed. He grabbed his bass drum. He threw it through the curtain into the crowd (laughs) and then lunged after it, spilling the beer all over the long haired hippies. (laughs) It was the right move. It was the right move to make. It was the right move. (laughs) And that's when uh, Rhett Scabies started using Rat Scabies as a stage name. It was no longer just a little nickname. Uh-huh. It was, that was who he was. So you see, they're all figuring this out in just in the first few shows. Yeah, and the, and this is back when Captain Sensible was still Ray Burns. So you and had- Eats. Yeah. <laughs> because he always wanted to eat. Eats is a pretty great nickname. He, yeah. he, he, he never could eat. He was so broke. <laughs> but at that night, that night when the whole shit went down, mm-hmm. um, the owners of Chiswick Records were there. So Roger Armstrong and Ted Carroll, they witnessed the whole thing, and in which Roger said, that was terrible, <laughs> but it was great. <laughs> <laughs> so Chiswick Records, uh, you know, they're an independent British label. Like They were one of the first ones, but these guys who were running, the, you know, Roger and Ted, they were running this uh, new label just off their memorabilia shop. Mm-hmm. They just like kind of considered it as a hobby. They just wanted to hang out, check out uh. bands. And then after they saw The Damned, they're like, we need to get these guys. And so... Roger Armstrong invested in The Damned, and the band laid down three songs on an eight-track recorder in a basement flat in West London. The songs, which would all later be on their debut album, were See Her Tonight, Feel the Pain, and I Fall. I've got a balloon, a small room that I need. I can't stop, a sexy hall, yes I That song is awesome. But later on, when Dave Vanian really gets his voice, oh, he sings those songs so great. He really does. Because, I mean, on the, the first record, you know, you got to remember, like, Dave Vanian was not a singer. Like, he had lied his way into, <laughs> <laughs> into being in uh, Masters of the Backside. And he definitely, he had a great voice. And he still does have oh, yeah. a fucking great voice. Like, he still sounds, he sounds better now than he did on the first album. Uh, and he sings these songs in new ways. Uh, where it's not annoying because you know sometimes you have bands that are singers that uh, have been playing songs for 30 40 years uh, and they think I'm gonna do this different I'm gonna I'm tired of this I'm gonna freshen this up and it's fucking awful like Bob Dylan uh, I hear like when you play when you go and see Bob Dylan live now like when he plays the times they are changing you don't know what fucking song it is he's like, like 200 years old <laughs> but he's doing it on purpose but Dave Vanian like when he sings these songs now he sounds better like he just put he changes them in such subtle ways that it's still definitely recognizable but it still sounds fucking great so if you have a chance to go see The Damned I'm jealous of the UK right now because I think they're touring the UK at this moment uh, and God I hope they come back I want them to come (laughs) back so bad because I really want to see them but yeah I mean The Damned still a fucking great live band from the live performances that I've watched 
online, and listened to. But even though the songs back then were still solid, I mean, even if Dave Vanian's voice was a little iffy at times, like, the songs were still fucking solid. Even so, their manager had a hard time getting anyone to take a chance. Virgin Records just ignored them, while Phonogram wrote back saying that they already had the Ramones... <laughs> And it would be unfair and redundant to have two bands of the same style. The Holy Grail. <laughs> we already got one. <laughs> then they already got one. So the damn kept going. And soon after did their first interview with Britain's first punk fanzine, Sniffin' Glue. Oh, Sniffin' Glue. <laughs> of course, named after the Ramones song, Now I Want to Sniff Some Glue. I would imagine. Yes. Yeah. It actually is exactly that. Mark Perry... He decided to make this fanzine after he saw the Ramones, mm -hmm. and he also interviewed the the Damned, and like I think it was like the third issue or something. And when I'm saying issues, I mean like it's just Xerox pages, you know, with him drawing on them and typing them up. But it, you know, it's still like a little bit of historical context, if you will. I mean, shit, that's still what zines are now. It's still people drawing shit on pieces of paper and printing them up and handing them out or selling them at shops and shows and shit like that. You know, zine culture really hasn't changed all that much. Oh, well, good. Then. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe people use computers and layouts. Blogs. Uh, blogs. <laughs> but, you know, but people still put out zines. Like, you know, all, like, there's still, we just got a fucking last podcast on the left zine no in the way. mail. Yeah. Yeah. Someone what? made it. Yeah. The same people that make the Joe Bob Spriggs uh, zine. Thank you very much for making those. Oh, very cool. Uh, yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. People are still making that shit to this day. It's really cool. I love, I mean, my favorite zine is Murder Can Be Fun. Go check out that if you can. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but there's still, you know, it, the the punk fanzine phenomenon, you know, it starts with Sniff and Glue. It starts with Punk Magazine, yeah. which we'll talk much more about uh, in later series. Right, right. Yeah. Well, with Sniffing Glue, uh, he Mark Perry actually got an interview with the guys and where it, it's really fun because these guys are so young. They're like 19, 20. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, Rat Scabies is like telling uh, the interviewer like how much everybody hates each other in the band <laughs> <laughs> and how Rat Scabies wants to really be up, beat up Davanian uh -huh. when he gets a chance. Oh man, we're so tough. I know exactly. And then Davanian goes like, "It's just a shame of all this competition between the bands and the London scene, right? I mean, why can't we all just be friends? Yeah, <laughs> you know, be part of a community because they because at this point the the community or the uh, the UK punk scene is like slowly getting together in a way, but people are looking at the New York punk, punk scene and they're thinking like, I, why can't we be like them? Yeah, why can't we have that? The funny thing about these uh, these interviews uh, is that when you read them in print, they sound pretty cool because you kind of put this tough voice in your head. But when I see these people interviewed on camera, like these punks, especially these punk bands, they're so sheepish and they're so soft-spoken it's like because you imagine dave Ainsen is like yeah man like i wish we could all like get along together like well, like all the new york bands but when you hear him say that it's like yeah i wish we could go get together and get along <laughs> like all the new york bands that would be wonderful if we could all do that and like they're always looking like like they never look at the interview they're always looking down at the ground or off to the side they're so fucking adorable <laughs> Well, these guys were drunk. Yeah. <laughs> this interview was held at a bar. Right. And <laughs> but but how Dave put it in the end, he's like, we're just here to have a little bit of fun, you know? And, and the damn, they even talked about how, like, they don't even like the term punk. You know, they're, they're like, this is power music. You know, get up your 
arse music. <laughs> uh, we can't say arse. Oh, We're we fucking can't. American. We can't just get up off your ass. I know. Yeah. I know. I mean, I, I tried to, my British accent at the uh, Dick Van Dyke Institute. <laughs> And it, between between you and me, we decided that I should not do it. <laughs> it was a joint decision made in the household. Yeah. <laughs> but the funny thing about the damn disliking the punk label is that just like today, people were arguing about the definition of punk and what was or wasn't punk before anyone even named the movement. Remember, Lester Banks had used the word punk in a review for Funhouse, and Lenny Kay had used it in the liner notes to the Nuggets compilation. Plus, you had a punk magazine out of New York, which, yep, as we said, we'll get a full accounting specifically in our Ramon series. But for England, the classifying of punk came in August of 1976 with an article by Carolyn Kuhn in Melody Maker, in which she proclaimed the British punk scene to be well underway, adding that the damned had staked a claim of being, quote, miles better than the Sex Pistols. Weird, because they should say kilometers. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, actually. But, you know, I've never heard that figure of speech. Like, oh, yeah, this meat pie is kilometers better than the one down the street. Like, <laughs> I'm going to stick to it. <laughs> the thing was, they were fucking right. I mean, <laughs> they were miles better than the Sex Pistols, except maybe in their, like, fashion sense. Although... I'll still take Dave Vanian's like fucking bow tie Nosferatu look over Johnny Rotten's spiky bullshit any of the day of the fucking week. Oh yeah, the guy who looks like uh, Warren from Empire Records. <laughs> yeah, any day. But yeah, that's the thing, man. Is that like from their musical talent to their stage presence to their attitude, the Damned were the superior band, and that included their ability to cover the Stooges, because the Damned's cover of 1970 blows the Sex Pistols' cover of No Fun right out of the fucking water. only four people that's amazing it's <laughs> fucking great man i like introducing gang vocals into the stooges and just doing a simple one-two beat uh it's genius it's fucking it, it's brilliant radio bird man <laughs> <laughs> and considering the controversy over the word punk i think this is one of the things that's most interesting in the uk punk scene because see in america people hardly even fucking noticed the punk rock scene going on in New York and L.A. and Cleveland and all these other fucking places. Like, it yeah. just, it, it didn't register. Well, America was busy listening to Barry Manilow. <laughs> I mean, there was still some, there was still some good music going on then. You know, I've, we talked about our shared love of disco on uh, the Suicide series, like how we did absolutely dig disco. But, you know, people were paying more attention to that in the United States. But in the U.K., punks both in the scene in regular fuck people they cared about punk like it was a matter of life 
and death, whether they loved or hated it. Even as goofy as all this arguing seems like now, like punk was a legitimate cultural phenomenon in the UK that was obsessed over and dissected from the very beginning. And I think that's really interesting. Like that it was an actual part of mainstream UK culture. It was because for the other half of the people in the UK, they considered it as a warning, as a sign to end time. <laughs> yeah, they thought they thought that the world was going to fucking end because of the sex pistols. Nobody yeah. thought the world was going to end because of fucking the talking heads. Well, have you seen Village of the Damned? <laughs> So with the punk label officially out there, as far as the UK press was concerned, The Damned played the first European punk rock festival on August 21st in France, and The Damned began to establish their reputation as being big pains in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so uh, this this international punk festival, this was organized by Mark Zamati. Remember we mentioned Mark Zamati? He's the guy who released uh, Stooge's live album, Metallic KO. Ah, got it. That's the guy. So they wanted this to be the first punk festival in Europe, and they had Pink Fairies, Tyler Gang, Rugalator. <laughs> I love saying that. Rugalator. Nick Lowe, Eddie and the Hot Rods. There's just a, a bunch of bands, right? Yeah. And so Mark Zamati, he tried to get Richard Hell to headline, but, R you know, it just didn't, it, it just didn't work out. Yeah, Richard Hell, of course, like uh, originally in television went on to do Richard Hell and the Voidoids fucking fantastic oh yeah and uh, for Richard Hell uh, go listen to uh, Love Comes and Spurts and have a nice little mystery solved for you <laughs> <laughs> I just I didn't know the words I, I honestly thought it was that I, that's all it was <laughs> So Mark Zamati decided, like, let me try to get the Sex Pistols. And then, like, ten minutes later, he's like, better not get the Sex Pistols. Because <laughs> he was hearing all these crazy stories about them. Of course. So Mark decided, like, I'm going to book The Clash. Yes, good, good idea. The Clash is like, no, we're not playing because you're not booking the Sex Pistols. Also, we just started and we don't know how to, what we're doing. Yeah, The Clash weren't ready yet. The Clash, like, I think The Clash had played one live show at that point and it was a fucking disaster right like they, it just they just sounded like shit because half of them didn't know how to play and they just hadn't coalesced as a group yet exactly unlike the damned who like didn't give a shit and were like right, we're just gonna play well, no matter what well they also had the songs ready to go oh they had yeah. <laughs> like they had everything good thing for brian yeah good thing for brian so they got the damned. Uh, they were offered five pounds a day, a hundred for the gig, and free hotels. Like, why wouldn't I go to France? Of course. So they traveled by bus with some of the other bands or managers, music journalists from Melody Maker and Sounds. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a good deal for 1977. I think I took that deal like in 2004. <laughs> <laughs> that's still a pretty good fucking deal. But anyway, I've definitely done that too. <laughs> So this is like a two-day-long bus ride with a night at the hotel along the way, right? So when they got to the hotel, the damn just, like, everybody in the band just ran around, ringing doorbells, really, like, just pissing everyone off because they were so hopped up on cheap wine and speed. Ah, cheap wine and speed. That's one, uh, the, the punk's combination. Yes, the awful housewife diet. <laughs> So the cops were even called at one point because the concierge was like losing his mind because everyone's running around climbing into windows, which, you know, Rat tried to grab like a drain pipe, but then it, it obviously broke off and he just fell on a roof. Oh, like he was fucking Wally e. Coyote? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he just like, did just so much damage mm -hmm. everywhere. Uh, so they did not get to sleep until 8 a.m. and they were supposed to play at round noon oh. the next day. 
So once the Damned finally got to Mont de Marsan and got on stage, they began their set with a song that absolutely fucking showcases Ratscaby's talent when it comes to drum fills. Love Ratscaby's work on the first yeah. Damned album. That song, which ended up being their like usual opener for shows for the Damned back in the early days, was one of the two. sound quality of the show itself that day was nowhere near as good as, you know, the clip we just heard, which was, of course, <laughs> from the album. But it's supposed to, you know, live show, you're supposed to be able to hear it. Yeah, well, the sound was completely off at the festival. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean by off? Do you mean off as in like, oh, oh this sounds off, like, like the smell that's off? Or was yeah. it just turned off? No, no, no. No, it was not turned off. It wasn't like, <laughs> did you plug it in? No, it was like... They, Shitty. Their sound was off. Yeah. And Old like, pussy. <laughs> again, you can't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, drums and guitar were out of time, especially during uh, their their big song, New Rose. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, ba- the, the bass amp failed. So, it, I mean, it got to the point where... Dave Vanian just decides, like, well, fuck it. He rips off his shirt and just starts walking around. <laughs> <laughs> they, they do the Iggy song. Uh-huh. And they do the Stooges song. And they dedicate it to Iggy. And he, J- Dave Vanian's just, like, j- just trying to make the show as best as possible. Well, trying to make it memorable. Exactly. Yeah. And then after their set, you know, the other bands came on. Uh, it was, like, uh, Eddie and Hot Rods, Passion Force. And then around 4 a.m., the damn decide we're gonna play again. Yeah, yeah. And then the, so like Ratscavy sits down at his drum kit and they start playing. And then the crew, the stage crew, were like, "We're not having any of this. Yeah, this is it's four a.m. So they just start dismantling everything while they try <laughs> to play. And eventually they figured, ah, fuck it. So they just got on the stage and just threw beer at the crowd and started yelling at everybody. Who the fuck are those guys? I wasn't here. Oh, those are the guys that played at noon. I wasn't here at noon. <laughs> 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 and, and Nick Lowe, who played in the festival, he uh, he said that they were the worst group he had ever seen since the Sex Pistols. <laughs> well, Nick Lowe, the thing they had, uh, he had had a bit of a conflict, I guess, with <laughs> with the, with the band because Nick Lowe uh, was he had was a former like pub rock musician. We'll talk more about him later here here in just a bit. Uh, but Nick Lowe uh, was being interviewed on the bus either to or from the festival, and he was being very serious uh talking about the nature of rock and roll yeah and where are we going with rock and roll and if i remember correctly didn't captain sensible spend most of the time flicking lit cigarettes at him yes <laughs> and then they ripped off his t-shirt <laughs> guys guys i'm trying to talk about the Shut nature up. of rock and roll Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but they all decided they're like, oh, we're just friends. This is what friends do. Yeah, yeah, sure. I get that. Yeah, but it was on the way back from this trip that the former Ray Burns was actually given the nickname Captain Sensible. 
rat scabies had broken an egg in Captain's hair. Because that's what you do with friends. <laughs> <laughs> and Captain just sort of left it to dry and smell. <laughs> <laughs> and so, just as they approached the border, a member of the Pink Fairy said, Listen, fucking Captain Sensible, you get that fucking egg out of your hair before we get to customs! <laughs> or at least... What'd I'm you a- call me? <laughs> fucking Captain Sensible! Okay. <laughs> That'll work. Yeah, yeah, it's a great it's a great nickname. You know, just like, well, guys, now I'm called Captain Sensible. Don't call me Ray Burns anymore. I'm now Captain Sensible. Uh, and it's, it's a great nickname. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's really fun. But, yeah, and he's still, to this day, it's like you see him on the street, you go, Captain! And he will respond. He calls his wife Mrs. Sensible. <laughs> But the thing is about like, nicknames like that, it's like sometimes they do fucking stick for forever. Like I nicknamed uh, a friend of mine in college. I gave him the nickname Burgers on like the first day that <laughs> I met him because he looked like a Burgers. And we were, you know, it was college radio and everyone had to have like a DJ name because we had a bad problem with stalkers. So I was like, you're Burgers. He still goes by Burgers. <laughs> <laughs> gave him that nickname in like 2003. Wow. And he's he still... He introduces himself. You met his brother, Sammy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, still introduces himself as Burgers. Now, as we mentioned earlier, on the bus with the Damned was a former pub rock musician named Nick Lowe who had just gone solo, and he just released his first single, the Thin Lizzy-ish classic, So It Goes. it would like a word, sir. <laughs> <laughs> now, that song was the very first single on a new independent record label that would eventually be the one to finally take a chance on the damned. Stiff Records. Oh, yeah, Stiff Records. So they got their chance because Jake Riviera, co-founder of Stiff Records, met the band at the French Punk Festival. All right. Because he was there. And uh, he was managing Nick Lowe at the time and other bands, Eddie and the Hot Rods. So Jake Riviera, along with his business partner, Dave Robinson, made a handshake deal with the Dam to record their first single on their very, very small DIY but efficient <laughs> indie label that started just earlier that year. So they just started this. I think, yeah, I think at this point they only had two singles, maybe yeah. three. Like Count Bishops? I think, yeah, I think it was, Nick, they had So It Goes and, yeah, I think it was Count Bishops. Uh, but, yeah, I think they only, only two, possibly three at the most singles at this point. Yes, they obviously were working with Nick Lowe, so they're like, Nick Lowe can be your producer. And that was when Chiswick was out and Stiff was in. Yeah. And so with the damned on board, Stiff Records spent 46 pounds on a two-hour mixing and recording session. And the B-side is just a fucking fun song. It's just pure fucking fun. It's a cover of uh, Help by the Beatles. Beatles. Yeah, Yeah. it's fucking great. Let's listen to it. It's just just fun. (laughs) 
That's so cool. Certainly my favorite Beatles cover song. Yeah. I mean, it's great. <laughs> you know, Jake Riviera, because he was known as kind of being a volatile guy. Like, he was either your friend or your biggest enemy. Oh, a guy in the UK music business in the 70s was a volatile guy. Just a little. Was there any fucking calm people in this scene? <laughs> when it came- <laughs> They quit. <laughs> but Jake wanted to pay half the royalties <laughs> to the Beatles because they played the song twice as fast. <laughs> good math there. Very good math. Yeah, I think Captain Sensible hoped that they would get it in the uh, Guinness Book of World Records as the shortest single ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, they only picked it just because they happened to be playing, because they were playing a Beatles single mm-hmm. and they accidentally played it on like the, a different side and then they're like looking at each other like we should do this song because it'd be kind of funny yeah <laughs> and, and even Dave said it's like we should slaughter the the holy cow you know like kind of like get a, the biggest band in the world play it crazy mm-hmm. and then like just just have fun you know because like captain sensible like said he like i didn't even tune my bass when we recorded <laughs> this because who cares it's only the beatles yeah, who gives a shit yeah. <laughs> but the a side for this was something different altogether opening with dave vanian delivering a stolen line from the shangri-la's leader of the pack is she really going out with him <laughs> this song was more than just the dam's first release this was the first british punk single and New Rose is just as fresh today as it was in 1976. The fun thing about that is that the uh, yeah Stiff Records, the first pressing of it, uh, I don't, I can't remember why exactly they did this. I think just because they thought it would be funny. Uh, they put a picture of Eddie and the Hot Rods on yeah. the back cover <laughs> and put a sticker on it that said, "We are sorry uh, for putting a picture of Eddie on the Hot Rods here. We'll do better next time." That was totally on purpose. <laughs> it was. They knew about collectibles. Yeah, of course. And uh, that's even back then, like record collectibles were a thing. And actually, I've seen a copy of uh, the second pressing of this, the one that didn't have Eddie and the Hot Rods on it. Uh, actually, Record Grouch, uh, my favorite record store in New York City. Oh, no way. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they actually, they have uh, a copy of it right now, but it's $100. It's too much for me. That's a lot of money. I can't, I can't spend $100 on a single. <laughs> <laughs> well, they recorded it at... Uh, Pathway Studios, which is where they ultimately record the, their album, the, the whole album. But this is just the singles, right? And this is like Pathway Studios. I mean, they do tours there. It's legendary. They call it uh, the delivery room of the birth of punk. Oh. Yes. Uh, dire Straits recorded Sultans of Swing there. Oh, how punk. 
Okay. <laughs> How about Sham 69? Now that's great. Yeah, Sham 69. Susie fucking and the Banshees. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's still great. And Madness. Oh, I and love Madness. Little Ska there. Yeah, Madness. And uh, Madness is uh, actually on tour as well right now. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're, com- I think they're coming to New York City soon. We should go see them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? But the recording studio was so small. It was essentially, it was a garage. Yeah. It, th- that's what it was. It was an eight-track studio in a garage where Dave had to sing his parts in the toilet. Uh, like, oh. sitting on the toilet in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's actually fairly common uh, in uh, recording. Like, a, a lot of singers have sung in the toilet just because the acoustics in bathrooms are pretty good. That's why, yeah, I, that's why I sound better in yes, the bathroom. that's why everyone sounds better in the showers because bathrooms have sometimes have very good acoustics. <laughs> <laughs> well, so did this one. <laughs> and Nick Lowe, who you know, we talked about before, he produced the album. They had Baza as their sound engineer. They just set everything up for them to record. They brought them a lot of ciders. Mm-hmm. They drank them up and they said, okay, now just do it live. That's all it was. Like, there was hardly any studio effects or anything. I mean, it, it can't, like, they recorded it and it was out with, like, no time at all. <sighs> That's great. So the day following the recording of New Rose, the dam played the 100 Club Punk Festival in London, and shit got a little out of hand, as it sometimes tended to do at punk shows back in those days. Although, none of this was the fault of the damned. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Not completely the dance fault. <laughs> yes, the 100 Club Punk Festival, which is pretty much two shows at the 100 Club. Mm-hmm. But they're like, well, we'll make it a festival. Everyone's doing festivals, CBGBs, everybody. So we're going to have one, too. Yeah, why not? Yeah, that's Malcolm McLaurin again and uh, Ronnie uh, and Ron Watts, who uh, who owned a club. And they decided like to like put this all together. Wasn't Ron Watts the dam's manager by this point? Yes, because Andy had enough. Yeah. <laughs> Andy was done with them. Yeah. Actually. To, that. to put it into perspective, this is what, like November, right? Somewhere around there, September, November. Uh, and the Damned had played their first show in July and they were already <laughs> on their third manager. <laughs> it, you know, tough time. Tough times. <laughs> they were pain in the ass. They were not easy to deal with. <laughs> No, but the show, well, the first night went fine. It was uh, The Clash and the Sex Pistols played. And then the second night was uh, The Vibrators, The Stinky Toys. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it's such a great name. So my favorite band name out of all these. (laughs) And then when the dam got on, they were immediately heckled by the members of The Vibrators, Mm -hmm. which I think is ridiculous because they were hardly a band then. I mean, they didn't even know how to play. They learned their songs in the dressing room. Like an hour before they went up. Really? I thought the Vibrators were already like an established pub rock band no, by this point. No, they were backing Chris Betting. Ah, they were back. Okay, Chris Betting. Got it. Yeah. So like they, and so I don't know why, because apparently like according to some people who were there, they said like the Vibrators suck because they were new. They weren't even a band. They didn't even know how to play their stuff. And then the Vibrators are there on the side of the stage yelling at the dam while they play their songs being like, you suck. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it either. But anyway, the dam didn't have a great set. Uh, David's mic kept cutting out. Uh, Brian's guitar string snapped. Oh. So they had to like take a 15-minute break. Oh. So uncomfortable when that happens. Oh, man. I, I'll tell you, like the one of the worst sights when you're playing a live show. It's like, you know, I was a, a played live shows, uh, played drums in uh, bands for many years. One of the worst sights is to look over at your guitarist and to see that broken <laughs> string like hanging out and the panicked look on your guitarist's face. And you're just like hoping it's like, 
God, please, like maybe be a B string. Like if it's a B string, I think he can do it. But <laughs> if it's a lower string, we're fucked. Why don't we take 15, go to the bar, and then get back on there? Well, usually you just get, finish the song and then you say like, hey, can we borrow a guitar from one of the other bands? And if you're lucky, the other bands haven't left and one of them's not a dick. And then just like, yeah, here, play the guitar. Oh, yeah, vibrators. Uh, <laughs> this is awkward. Yeah. But so yeah, it's not going to happen on that show. No. <laughs> <laughs> so as soon as as soon as the dam started again, someone threw a beer glass at them, but it hit one of the columns on the side of the stage, and it shattered. A piece of glass fell into a girl's eye, some uh-huh. an just a regular audience member, and blinded her forever. Fuck. Yeah, and this pissed off the band so bad, like they jumped out uh, on into the audience, and they're like, "Who's the guy? Who the, who fucking threw that?" Like they were so pissed. The guy turned out to be Sid Vicious. Oh yeah, one of the many dick moves, dick moves. From, dick moves. <laughs> from Sid Vicious. But he was arrested and taken away. At least, at least it ended that way. At, at the very least, yeah. But that's the thing, is that even though none of this was the dam's fault, like, they still got the rap of being a violent band. Like, they still, it's like, violence happens at dam shows. People were writing articles about how the damned were violent, and violence occurred wherever the damned went. While the Clash were seen as more the peaceful warriors of the punk scene in the UK press. Even though, during the interview in which they uh, said that the Clash were so peaceful and they weren't into violence or anything like that, like, Paul Simonon was playing around with a fucking starter pistol and he fired it at a dog. Oh, yeah. I mean, he didn't. I mean, it was a starter pistol, so it was just a big bang, but he still scared a dog. It's not cool, man. It's not cool. You don't don't scare a dog like that. Now, this might not have been the start of it definitively, but this sort of unfair coverage was the beginning of what some call the curse of the damned. Maybe it was because they were more kitschy than the others, or maybe it was because they didn't look like they were supposed to, or maybe it was because they did and said some admittedly dumb shit in their early days. Because that's the thing, we're not going to pretend like the members of the dam didn't say some pretty foul shit about women early on in their career. But, you know, fuck, it's kind of like, you know, a comedian who has a bunch of stupidly offensive tweets from their early days. It just ain't worth going into. Yeah, it, it at this point now, they're much older, they realize they're they were fucking idiots I mean that's a whole part of growing up right yeah you say really dumb shit and yeah and I'm not gonna be all high and mighty about it when it comes to a young person saying dumb shit I'm the last person to judge (laughs) same here man thank god there was no twitter Jesus Christ I couldn't imagine the things (laughs) that I said when I was 20 years old being a matter of public record (laughs) Fuck. And that's a funny thing, too, because now that they get interviewed, Rat Scabies is like, I had no idea that was going to come back. <laughs> Kick me in the ass. Yeah, We're sorry. <laughs> We're so sorry. I mean, like Beastie Boys, you know, they, yeah. they grew up. Of course, they grew up. Same with the damned. But the damned never seemed to be able to catch a break. And even to this day, the damned are not seen amongst the more academic of music historians as being on the level with the other two big bands of the 1976-1977 scene. Like, hell, when I was in fucking record grouch the other day, like, I was talking to the owner, and he just, I mean, I was talking to him about the damned single, and he was like, you know, why did the damned not get the respect that everyone else did? And I went, oh, God, do you have some time? Nevertheless, New Rose was released to almost universal praise, with one writer saying it was, quote, so hot it's a wonder the vinyl doesn't melt. 
and London's Evening Standard dubbed the damned the self-possessed demons of the punk rock scene. That's cool. That's great press right there. Yeah. Meanwhile, the damned were sticking it to the Sex Pistols. When the Sex Pistols released their first single, Anarchy in the UK, on a major label, Stiff Records announced that the damned had a new song called Anarchy, courtesy of EMI. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got you. We got, oh, oh, we got you. Oh, man, you're, you're going to think twice before messing with... With with stiff records and the damned again. <laughs> <laughs> well, concerning the deal with EMI, Captain Sensible later said, quote, I used to look at the pistols and think, what are they doing that for? <laughs> then we heard anarchy and thought, ooh, that's a bit turgid. Turgid. Definition of turgid. <laughs> Adjective. Meaning excessively embellished in style or language. Bombastic. Pompous. I guarantee you, I'm not the only one who was wondering what that meant. <laughs> Well, I always knew of, of Turgid uh, from that scene in Naked Gun two and a half. Like he he put his Turgid member into my quivering mound of love pudding. Oh, Turgid! I was thinking about love pudding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always thought Turgid as a uh, a word for hard. Hard. Uh, yeah, yeah, but um, pompous works as well because excessively anarchy, embellished. Yes, anarchy in the UK is pompous as fuck. I mean, it takes itself very seriously. Like, the Sex Pistols take themselves very seriously. Uh, as serious as a hard-on. <laughs> <laughs> but the damn didn't, you know? And that also has something to do uh, with why they didn't really get the respect. You know, the damned didn't really even have respect for themselves. Like, they didn't really have respect for the scene. They didn't really have respect for anybody else. And so, they never really got any in return. Uh, but God damn it, they deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was around this time, Jake Riviera of Stiff Records took over as the dam's manager, the fourth or fifth by this point, and arranged for them to hop on a national tour. Again, the first British punk band to go on a national tour. And the band they were supporting was the Flamin' Groovies from San Francisco, California. <laughs> this song i think it was a scene where Cher was <laughs> um shopping in beverly hills uh-huh i'm talking about clueless, clueless right. <laughs> was that song really in clueless yes no shit yeah well a cover okay a cover of it that 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 makes sense all right yeah but the flaming groovies uh they were a band a great band yeah for a while they really were yeah and they'd been around by uh they've been around by this point since like 69 or something like that yeah like they'd been they'd been around for a, a while. while yeah yeah 
But the thing about the Flaming Groovies, like they had some really cool songs, like Teenage Head. Teenage Head's great. In rock and song. But they just, at this point in their lives, in 1976, they just like didn't really know which direction their music should go. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, like teenage songs, like like Teenage Head and uh, Slow Death, like their early stuff is much more blues influenced. Like the stuff before, you know, uh, you know, Shake Some Action, uh, which is the song that we just played. It was, it was a different kind of style. Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, Flaming Groovies were headlining. You know, they, they were in England. They're they're doing all these shows. The Dam were booked to open for them. So the first show was November 11th in Red Car, and the Dam did great. They did awesome. They got a huge response. They even got an encore Ooh. for a supporting band. <laughs> well, the single had just come out. Yes. So people were starting, people around England were starting to hear The Damned. They were starting to hear how fucking good they were. Uh, and The Damned were actually put on the Flaming Groovies tour to give the Flaming Groovies a little bit of cred because the kids didn't know the Flaming Groovies. And the Flaming Groovies were kind of trying to rebrand themselves. And the Damned gave them cred, and the Damned blew them out of the fucking water. Yeah, the Flaming Groovies didn't do so great. <laughs> uh, according to Captain, uh, most of the audience didn't care for them and tried to boo them off stage. Yeah. But, I mean, we don't know. We weren't there. We weren't there. But And the Flaming Groovies, apparently the, the members of the band, they wouldn't even talk to the Damned. They didn't want them in their dressing room. They did not like them. They, even, like, Captain Sensible even said, like, I think they were scared of us. Yeah. Which they might have, should have been. They might have been. <laughs> I mean, these are... I don't know about, like, should have been. Like, the Damned were never dangerous. They were just annoying. Yeah, but they would, like, you know... G- take a lot of speed, drink lots of beers, and then run around, try to sneak into people's hotel rooms and shit on their bed. <laughs> I mean... Again, I'm not scared of that guy. Like, <laughs> I'm annoyed with that guy. So... <laughs> I mean, maybe, you know, the more I think about the damned, like, the more I kind of... Is, especially, like, early... In the early days, like, um, I, I think about that, uh, that cliche saying, it's like, if it smells like shit everywhere you go, it's time to check your own shoe. Yeah. That's... Uh, that's kind of the damned. <laughs> <laughs> at least, like, here at the beginning. Like, at least here, uh, yeah. yeah. At least here at the beginning. Like, later they definitely calmed down and put out some, like, some of the best albums of the 80s. But uh, but at that point, yeah, they're a bit out of control. Yeah, Things I- are out of control. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Wilson, the lead singer of the Flaming Groovies, uh, he said, quote, they were rude and the worst musicians they ever played with. <laughs> So, like, so they they said that they pulled the dam uh, out of the tour after only two shows. The dam said that the Flaming Groovies were too afraid of them, and uh, you know because of one of the shows that the Flaming Groovies didn't even show up to, citing illness. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh well, I guess I will just play with the drugs now. Yeah. But uh, so there's two different stories. There's definitely two different stories. Oh man, the drugs and the dam. That would have been a fucking great show. Love the drugs. You know, wild thing. Everyone yeah. knows that song. But you know, if you want to see like. Uh, a great trog song that you might not know uh, with a girl like you is uh, fucking great. Trogs are a solid band. So after coming back from that tour, the Damned began the recording of their debut album with the aforementioned Nick Lowe. That's what I find amazing is that even though like Nick Lowe said he hated the fucking Damned, he sure did work with them a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, he was just a reluctant friend. Yeah, yeah. And by mid-November, the band had completed, at the very least, all of the backing tracks. 
Meanwhile, there were still shows to play, bizarre though as they may have been. On November 19th, they played the first all-punk bill in London since the 100 Club fiasco. And the funny thing about the 100 Club fiasco uh, is that even though Ron Watts was both their manager and the owner of the 100 Club, because of what had happened... Their own manager would not let them play at the club that he owned. He put a ban on all punk music. Yeah. He was like, no, no, no. It's only going to be blues and, you know, folksy stuff here now. <laughs> Country, bluegrass, and blues. That's all we're having. <laughs> <laughs> but this show right here, this was at Manor Hill High School. Or at least whatever the British call high school. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So they played with high school punk kids. Yeah. Oh, that was cool. Slaughter and a dog mm-hmm. who were eventually going to, you know, get up on there. Mm-hmm. And an, an eater. Oh, eater. Oh, let's hear an eater song. Cool. That's a cool song. They recorded that one later. Because remember, when they were playing the punk high school show, they were like in high school. I think they were, yeah, 14, 15, 15. something like that. Yeah, and, and the drummer, Degenerate, he actually ha- got some lessons from Rat Scabies. Well, Rat Scabies was even then a fucking great drummer. Oh, yeah. That was the cool thing about it is like Rat Scabies just teaching this 13-year-old kid kind of how to play or teaching him a few tricks and stuff. And then Eater comes out and they start playing. It's, like, it's, it's a cute thing. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, the Damned attempted to go on tour once more. Although the ill-fated Anarchy in the UK tour with the Sex Pistols was a very public failure on a much larger scale than the Groovies did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, public for everyone. Yeah, there's... Books on this. <laughs> you see, the Sex Pistols, they were just about to release their Anarchy in the UK single. Mm-hmm. So Malcolm McLaren had the idea to promote a huge tour with the Sex Pistols co-headlining with the Ramones. Mm-hmm. It's like, what a great idea. And then the Ramones like pulled out being like, we never said we would play. Yeah, well, the Ramones didn't pull out because the Ramones weren't actually booked. Because uh, fucking because Malcolm McLaren pulled a Wayne's World 2. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they don't come. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, if you book it, they will come. This time, they did not come, and we're pissed off that you booked them without asking them. Yeah. (laughs) It was a lot of uh, shit talking. Like, Danny Fields was just saying, like, uh, yeah, the the tour was not handled professionally, and Mm -hmm. we're just not going to play in a tour that's very unprofessional. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with uh, Danny Fields, like, yeah, this is a very unprofessional tour. (laughs) We're not going to play in unprofessional tour (laughs) (laughs) and Malcolm came back with saying that the Ramones were just scared of playing with the sex pistols oh yeah like the fucking Ramones are scared of the sex pistols (laughs) 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 so Malcolm uh, set up a new bill of bands to open for the sex pistols Uh, the Clash the Heartbreakers you know the Jerry Nolan and Johnny Thunder's uh, post New York Dolls band and finally the Damned Mm -hmm. Justin and so good 
thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now, just before the tour was about to head out, the Sex Pistols appeared with a TV presenter named Bill Grundy on a talk show called Today. And the Sex Pistols had, to put it lightly, ruffled a few British feathers. <laughs> yes. Now, we wouldn't play the whole clip, but, I mean, fuck, man. I mean, this, uh, everyone's seen, uh, well, a lot of people have seen this clip, and it's mostly just the Sex Pistols, a few fans, and the future Susie Sue mumbling and giggling for a minute and a half. Like, it's not good radio. (laughs) But it didn't really matter that they said anything important because just their look was a shock to pearl-clutching housewives and conservative councilmen the country over. One band was wearing an armband with a swastika on it. Steve Jones was wearing a t-shirt that just had a nice pair of tits on it. And Susie Sue just looked fucking weird. Like, she just looked, she looked cool as shit, but (laughs) she looked very strange. And maybe just that wouldn't have been enough to cause an uproar. But near the end... Johnny Rotten sheepishly said the word shit. Mm, shit. Mm, it's shit. a bad word. It's a, bad, <laughs> it's a bad word. Which that was followed by Bill Grundy successfully provoking Steve Jones. <laughs> you dirty son. You dirty old man. Well, keep going, Chief. Keep going. Go on. You've got another five you seconds. Dirt, Say something outrageous. You dirty man. bastard. Go on, again. <laughs> you dirty fucker. What a clever boy. What a yeah. fucking rotter. Well, that's it for tonight. The other rocker, Abel, and I'm saying nothing else about him, will be back tomorrow. I'll be seeing you soon. I hope I'm not seeing you again. From me, though, good night. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'd rather see the footage of the control room at that TV network because I'm sure there's a lot more shit. (laughs) And, you know, fuck, I mean, besides just the control room, the British public... Lost their fucking minds. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if the British weren't so reserved, there would have been riots on the street. <laughs> well, I mean, this show was only aired in London, so it's not really exactly the TV show's fault as much as it is the media who put out papers all over the country. Very much. The media knew exactly how the British people were going to react to this shit. See, the Damned hadn't seen this go out live because they had been in dress rehearsals for the upcoming tour with The Clash and The Heartbreakers when this interview had aired. I'm not sure if the Sex Pistols talked about what had gone down, but even if they had, they probably had no idea what was going to happen as a result. Actually, Malcolm, when he saw the whole thing go down, he just put his hands in his head (laughs) and just started weeping. And then he looks up, he's like, 
did we blow it? <laughs> <laughs> and then Steve Jones saw the headlines the next day. He was like, fucking hell, this is great. <laughs> this is awesome. This is so cool. Oh, yeah, the next day, the famous headline, The Filth and the Fury, <laughs> which eventually became the name of the fucking Sex Pistols documentary that came out a few years ago. And, the of course, the Daily Mirror condemned the Sex Pistols for using, quote, the filthiest language ever heard on British television. <laughs> And because of this negative national press, the Anarchy in the UK tour fell apart. It really did, because the Sex Pistols were hounded everywhere they went, you know, by the press. Mm -hmm. And when they got to their tour date with the other bands, it was canceled. Like, the show was canceled. Like, everywhere they would go, they would get on the bus, they would get there, they're like, yeah, no show, guys. And so they would just go back to their hotel room and just get trashed. Yeah, because there was, I think, um, there had been some some districts, some cities, that had said that every band that plays has to audition for the council. Yes, that was in Derby. Mm. So that's what happened. You see, when they're all touring, they're all touring, they're trying to get through date to date to date in all <laughs> of the UK. <laughs> and Sex Pistols are in like a nice, big Victoria bus. Uh, unfortunately... For the dam, they were not so lucky with no. these nice hotels and these nice buses. You see, Malcolm, again, was like, you guys want to get on a tour bus? Well, it's going to cost you a thousand pounds to transport you and the equipment. And Stiff, you know, they were working with Stiff. The Stiff is like, we don't have that kind of money. You guys sit in the sit in the van with the rest of the equipment. <laughs> they and, put them in the equipment van? Yes. <laughs> they had to travel in a van. And then they had to sleep in, like, these cheap bed and breakfasts all over the UK. <laughs> so they finally get to Derby, right? And the local council told them that the Sex Pistols were banned from performing. But the other bands could audition before the leisure committee. <laughs> Imagine being so fucking uptight that you have a leisure committee. I'm sorry, a leisure committee. Of course, a leisure. A committee for leisure. <laughs> Did they end up auditioning for the leisure committee? <laughs> well, they had to come up with a plan. So Malcolm invited the dam's uh, tour manager, uh, this guy Rick Rogers that they sent in. Jake Riviera was busy at the moment. So they sent in Rick for a meeting with Malcolm. Malcolm told Rick... The council wants an audition with the bands before they go on. The Sex Pistols are not going to do it. They refused. That's what he told Rick. Mm -hmm. uh, but are the damn willing to audition, maybe? And if they go play, they can headline over the Heartbreakers and the Clash. How does that sound? Mm -hmm. Also, to sweeten the pot, how about I tell you that the damn could also use the tour bus with the other bands? <laughs> and Rick is like, well, I'll say. <laughs> He said that he talked to the band, and the band's like, sure, whatever, we'll audition. And that sounds all right. But nobody played that night. There was no audition. Nothing. Why not? They, it just, they just canceled the whole thing. Uh, Malcolm just said, like, we're just going to cancel the whole thing. Okay, so, they got, so the damned called their bluff, and the council's like, nah, we're just not going to do this. Not the council, Malcolm. Oh, Malcolm canceled it. Malcolm <laughs> just didn't set it up. So what was that, like a power play or something? Or Well... There's more. Ah. You see, they go to Newcastle, the next show. That's canceled, too. But the dam did manage to play in Leeds, so they played one gig. And then the next day, Malcolm kicked the dam off the tour. Why? Saying He was saying they were shitheads who refused well. to show solidarity with the other bands in Derby when the Sex Pistols were banned and couldn't be... And so he's like, the, the, the damn can't be relied upon. Oh, fuck him. What the about the solidarity? What about community, guys? These guys were willing to sell us out so they could play. 
No, the damned were willing to play a show so the fans could see the music. Captain Sensible was so pissed off about the whole thing. Imagine the band sitting in like, you know, Mrs. Busy Bee's buns. <laughs> British countryside breakfast, bed and breakfast, you know, like with their teacups and yeah. stuff and just be like, what? Captain Sensible's like, I wouldn't have played. Nobody asked me. And Brian's like, well, yeah, maybe I would have. I don't know. Yeah. I just uh -huh. want to play. I just want to have fun. And everyone else was just so mad because they thought in their heads like, you're talking about showing solidarity. We're stuck here. <laughs> we're not even on tour with you guys. Yeah, we're in the fucking equipment band. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're treating us like a bunch of fucking dogs, and you're talking about solidarity. I, it was really a tactic where I. it really does seem like Malcolm kind of talked Rick Rogers into like uh, saying yes just to just take him back and then kick him off the tour. Yeah, it was it was a power... It, so it was a power play. Totally just being a dickhead. Yeah, I mean, the guys knew very well why they were kicked out. Yeah. I mean, we all know now. Like, Malcolm didn't like them. He said, uh, I sacked I sacked the damn because they were no fucking good. But the truth was is that the Sex Pistols became a sensation after the Bill Grundy interview. Mm -hmm. So they were huge. So why use the damned anymore? The damned were the bigger ones because they had a single out already. Right. And they had, like... Uh, tons of fans but the Sex Pistols didn't need them anymore right well yeah I mean but still like the Sex, the Sex Pistols never played a proper British show ever again until they did yeah the reunion with chubby Johnny Rotten <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not chubby puffy puffy P Johnny Rotten yeah puffy Rotten uh, so the tour went on without them, right? Uh, Buzzcocks filled in, but the anarchy of the UK tour, that really just fell flat. I mean, the Sex Pistols ended up playing like, what, six or seven out of the 19 dates? Mm-hmm. It was it was a disaster anyways. Yeah, it was totally a disaster. And, you know, well, and then the Sex Pistols did their thing. Yeah. Like, we're, you go we're, do your thing. You go do your thing. The problem, though, is that once the Sex Pistols came off the tour and punk had become a national epidemic of youth gone bad in the eyes of many, the dam got stuck in the middle of all this bullshit. To the public, they were punks and therefore threats to the very fabric of society. And to people like Malcolm McLaren and those more in line with the Sex Pistols and the Clash, the dam just weren't cool because they didn't look and act the part. Mick Jones of The Clash actually admonished Brian James of The Damned in Sniff and Glue, sneeringly saying, Brian James told me he stands for enjoying himself. <laughs> <laughs> and James made it worse in the eyes of the Mick Jones types by responding with, I just like to get up and play. No, let him play. <laughs> <laughs> let the boy play. Let the band play. <laughs> See, The Damned were, and still are, only concerned with two things. The music, first and foremost, and the fun of playing it. And while bands like the Sex Pistols and the Clash were important for their politics, you also needed bands like the Damned to balance everything out. Because life is supposed to be fun, at least fucking sometimes. Yes. <laughs> like, we can't be serious all the time. Life is supposed to be fun Sometimes. <laughs> and for that. those times, you have the damned. <laughs> Tell that to Morrissey. <laughs> well, Morrissey's idea of fun is different from our idea oh, okay. of fun. <laughs> Morrissey has plenty of fun. It's just awful. <laughs> <laughs> God. 
And really, it was more the managers sniping at each other than the bands themselves. That is true, because even though everyone's talking shit on each other, the guys still got along. Like, the damn still got along with members of the Sex Pistols. Yeah. I mean, they, they still have respect for each other to a certain extent. It's just, it's just mostly these managers, like, being all mean girls to each other, <laughs> while the rest of them are just being, like, moved around like pawns. Yeah, you I know? mean, well, it's these 30-something men, uh, the managers, that are, you know, they are controlling these, you know, 19 20 year old kids and trying to set them against each other you know and yeah. you know captain captain sensible he's like yeah i like johnny rotten and the sex pistols used to joke when they were around the dam saying like oh we're not supposed to talk to you <laughs> because malcolm mclaren was trying to get them to fight each other because you know fighting in the press uh was good for business it was good for record sales to just because people were talking about him like oh did you hear what did you hear what mick jones said about brian james no I didn't. And that's like records. a Taylor Swift, <laughs> Katy Perry thing. Yeah. I can't just, believe I know that. Yeah. We all know that. <laughs> it's good press, right? It's great press. You know, it's it's the same shit that's been going on uh, for fucking ever. You know, it's just the, the guy, you know, Malcolm McLaren and Bernie Rhodes who uh, managed the clash. Like, you know, they figured it out. They they did it well. But the damned were just most of the time like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> But regardless of people talking shit, the dam trudged on. Or, as Brian James put it, things fall to bits and you do the good old hope and anchor again. <laughs> Which the hope and anchor was uh, the dam's like home bar. That was where they, that's where the damned always knew they could go and play a show. You could always see the damned at the hope and anchor, and the hope and anchor would always say yes to the damned. And so the damned just kept playing shows while they continued to hone their own personal acts. Davanian stuck with the goth look. Of course, his you remember his look, it's white face paint with blacked out eyes because he liked looking like a, a 30s film star. Yeah, the perfect counterpart to Elvira. <laughs> Captain, on the other hand, started wearing a nurse's dress because Captain was starting to get a little wackier. Mm-hmm. And he also was getting naked on stage quite a bit. A lot. Yeah, Captain Sensible, uncircumcised. Oh, yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of, I mean, there's as many pictures out there of uh, Captain Sensible's cock as Iggy Pops. <laughs> <laughs> no, and Rat Scabies also started spraying his symbols with lighter fluid so he could set them on fire in the middle of shows. Like, oh. everyone's got their own things that they're trying out. Oh, yeah. So these shows that they were doing, like you said about uh, Captain Sensible's nurse's uh, dress, Mm -hmm. which uh, I think he said that he put it on because he borrowed it from somebody. He put it on because he had a girlfriend who was a nurse (laughs) and he wanted to show her. (laughs) (laughs) Look at me. (laughs) (laughs) But they played these shows at the Roxy. So after Hope and Anchor, they went to the Roxy. Roxy was a club, a very, very small basement venue uh, that was only open for like three months. Yeah. And they played there seven shows, uh, four of them for free, mm-hmm. because they owed money to their old um, to their old manager, Andy. Ah, uh, garnish their wages. Well, I mean, they made a deal. Because <laughs> Andy co-owned the Roxy. So mm. he's like, you guys owe me so so much money for all the shit you put me through. Mm. Uh, you guys want to do some shows? And they're like, great, cool. Why not? And so in these shows, like, it, they were really fun shows. They were packed, uh, completely packed. Not Like, there is no uh, concern for safety here. No. But you know who did come? 
Captain's parents. Oh, that's nice. And Dave's mom came a few times. <laughs> it's always nice when the parents come to it's see so the show. It's sweet, yeah. right? It's sweet. But uh, it, it was at one of these shows where Jimmy Page and Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin came to see them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I love them. I love Led Zeppelin. Well, of course, I know you love Led Zeppelin. <laughs> so uh, Jimmy and Robert, they were so impressed that on the next show, Robert Plant went back and brought John Bonham with him, the drummer of Led Zeppelin. Of course. And so they hung out. They drank all night together. They're having a great time. The damned are great. And they're like, Led Zeppelin, yeah, you're cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because at this point, Led Zeppelin's uh, one of the biggest bands in the world. It's not the biggest band in the world. Yes, they're huge. I mean, Jimmy Page even like uh, played their album constantly when it yeah. came out. So much that he annoyed everybody on the road. <laughs> well, I think this was around the time of like maybe maybe I think this was around the time of like physical graffiti, which, you know, physical graffiti. I just learned this uh, was the first album to ever go platinum on pre-sales alone. Wow. It went platinum. That's how big Led Zeppelin was. They're it went huge. Before even before the album came out, it was already platinum. Yeah. But they were big fans of the Damned. That's cool. And the fun part is that John Bonham got on stage and he was like trying to drum, but he was so trashed. Yeah, <laughs> as is his want. But but luckily, as they were pulling him off, just like, come on, John, let's go sit somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> He's yelling like, the Damned, what a great fucking badge. <laughs> so they weren't getting respect from some people. And, yes. and the, the other thing, too, is like it's also important to, to say is that even though there was, you know, we've been talking a lot about you know the damn not getting respect the fans fucking loved them yes like the people loved the damned and that's and even to this day like if someone is a damned fan usually they're a fucking huge, huge. damned fan <laughs> like people people that are into the damned are really into the damned this is very intimidating <laughs> I hope we're doing I know, okay. Because yeah. we both love the damned, but you know the people that are into it, into it. You know they're. Hey, God bless you. Well, God bless you. They're fucking into it. Uh, but the other cool thing is that you know the bands that are super into it, like the super fans of the damned. The damned are like friends with them. Yeah. <laughs> like the the documentary about the damned, which is uh, fucking great. It's uh, you can if you got the whole Amazon Prime thing, uh, you can watch it. It's called Don't You Wish We Were Dead. It's fucking great. But there's a scene in the the documentary where like one of their fans, like the biggest damned fan there is, like shows up and just goes and hangs out backstage with them. Like he yeah. just. <laughs> He's been, just been going to damn shows for so long. They're just like, oh, hey, you see? Hey, what's up, man? Oh, you know, just been hanging out, you know. Cool. Like, so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's just they, they're friends. Yeah, why yeah. not? Or at least work friends. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, though, in February of 1977, Stiff Records struck a two-year distribution deal with Island Records, and Stiff finally had the press and promotional powers necessary to release a full-length album. And the timing for this could not have been better for the damned. The Sex Pistols were in limbo, because EMI had dropped them following the Bill Grundy fiasco. Didn't like the heat. And The Clash, they'd signed with CBS, but they still weren't good enough to record anything. Just didn't have the talent, didn't have the songs just yet. Of course, they would very soon. So, on February 18th, 1977, the public finally got their first taste of punk on vinyl with the release of Damned, Damned, Damned.
Now, admittedly, while Triple D is absolutely an important album, it's made up of three absolute classics. Yes. One fantastic cover. Yeah. And a bunch of other songs. They're pretty good. Okay. <laughs> pretty good, guys. Pretty good. They're pretty good. They're pretty good. It's just nowhere near as strong as later albums like Machine Gun Etiquette. Oh, where yeah. Well, every, you're going to talk about that later. Well, we're going to talk about that next episode. But Machine Gun Etiquette, every song is fantastic. You know, or or albums like The Black Album or Strawberries. Like, there's their best work is definitely ahead of them. Part of that has to do with the fact that besides the cover of 1970 that we played earlier and a minute-long song written by Rat Scabies called Stab Your Back, all the songs were written by one member, Brian James. Later, The Damned would become a much more collaborative band, but back in 1977, Brian James was responsible for damn near everything. But although it might not be the best early punk album, it certainly has one of the best sleeves, or album covers. Album covers. Yeah. <laughs> it is the best. I mean, it's the guys covered in cream. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a food fight. <laughs> <laughs> well, David said it was a ketchup and, and shaving cream or something, but I, I, I thought it was a pie. Yeah. It's it, like a pie to me. It looks like a pie. Yeah. I mean, when you look at it, it looks like, oh, hey, pie. Uh, but the guys <laughs> are covered in shit. Look, it's so it's a fun cover as opposed to the other guys who are just like we're tough and we're punk and stuff. And these guys are just having a little party. Yeah, it's it's uh, Captain Sensible has his face completely obscured uh, in cream. He's wearing sunglasses. Rat Scabies is licking his head. <laughs> Dave Vanian has his head leaned back. He's got his eyes looking rolled up. in the back of his head, looking all creepy and kooky, but still fun. And then there's Brian James. Yeah, yeah. standing there. Saying, this is my band. <laughs> I did this. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so they're all covered in cream. And then in the back cover, it's them playing the live show at the Roxy. Mm. Remember when uh, when Captain Sensible is wearing his nurse's co- costume? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that he had his back to, <laughs> to the guy who was taking the picture. So you can't see Captain Sensible at all like in the front because he's wearing sunglasses covered in cream and in the back he has his back to it (laughs) so the thing is Captain wanted to show his auntie Sadie (laughs) that he made a record all right but since you can't see his face he ran to a passport office at a Paddington uh, station the famous Paddington station Mm. and he took a headshot photo and then had them stick on the back because come on how is he going to show auntie Sadie (laughs) How are they going to know it's me if my face isn't on it? Exactly. (laughs) Who's Captain Sensible? (laughs) I thought you were Ray. (laughs) As far as the critics and fans went, Triple D was a hit, but their chief rivals in the punk scene had nothing but derisive comments. Johnny Rotten called them Eddie and the Hot Rods with makeup. Yeah, sure. Although, I can't really figure out why this is an insult, because Eddie and the Hot Rods fucking rule. Yes.
song's fucking great. Now put on some makeup. <laughs> Johnny Rotten wasn't the only one to talk shit. Mick Jones, who, remember, was in London SS with Rat Scabies and Brian James, called the damned wet fishes, comedy horror rock, and, quote, not essential. What the fuck? <laughs> Joe Strummer just called them wankers. Well, like in one, well, that's, oh, that's the thing. Fine, that, I, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, okay, I kind of agree with that too. But like Joe Strummer, he would go back and forth. Where like in one interview, he'd say like, "Yeah, the damned are great," and then the other one, he'd be like, "Fucking wankers." <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on what they just did to each other. I think that's really what it is. Yeah, and there were other detractors. The Review and Zigzag described them as Jake Riviera's joke group going on to say that you'll be highly impressed with the record if you happen to be a juvenile delinquent with a safety pin through your nipple and the brain power of a haddock. Yeah, but what's a haddock? <laughs> it's a big fish. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. That's clever. Said, why didn't he say fish? Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 he has to say a particular kind of fish. That guy must be really smart. <laughs> Well, following the release of the album, the Damned honed their individual personalities even further. See Captain Sensible? He's the unpredictable, wacky one. <laughs> you never know what Captain Sensible's going to do. <laughs> Dave Vanian was described as, quote, and I fucking love this description of Dave Vanian, a frail bundle of sinister energy, an amalgam of Nosferatu, Bela Lugosi, and the toast of an SS Galanite. Wow, that is good. Yeah, that's very good. And of course, Rat Scabies, he's the de facto punk. Like, Rat Scabies is the only guy that, like, looks like a fucking punk. And Brian James was Brian James. Yeah, he's just Brian James. Yeah, he's just Brian James. He's always been Brian James. Always gonna be Brian James. He doesn't need to be anything else. Yeah, he's a fucking great guitarist. So following the release of Triple D, the band toured the country as support for an artist trying to make a comeback after being out of the spotlight since the early 70s. The Damned had the utmost honor of opening for glam rock pioneer Mark Bowling. <laughs> it makes me want to sit in a car and drive it and and just play this really loud. Yeah. I know. <laughs> well, maybe on our next road trip. Okay. <laughs> just, can I get an Uber? <laughs> we'll go get a zip car later on today. How's that? Cool. <laughs> Mark Bolin. Yeah. Sex God, first of all. <laughs> I'll agree with that one. I'm, I'm not going to agree with, you know, your David Johansson remarks, but I'll agree <laughs> that Mark Boland is indeed sexy, yes. Yes, he's a very sexy man. Uh, amazing musician, singer, songwriter, and somewhat mystical, according to Mark Boland himself. Mm-hmm. Also not the best guy to mention cars with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, 
don't 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 bring it up. <laughs> he was huge in the early seventies, but we're now in nineteen seventy seven. Yes. By then, he was an older guy to these you know these young punk kids in the scene. You know, at the old old age of twenty nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, music moved pretty fucking fast. You know, really it, quick. It, it moved very quick because you do think about how much fantastic music came out in the 70s. Like, the 70s, I would say, is my favorite. It's my favorite decade when it comes to music. I listen to more music from the 70s than from any other decade easily. And it's been that way for 20 fucking years. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I fucking love, love, love the 70s music. So it's not surprising that by, like, 77, you know, music that came out in, like, 71, 72, uh, the kids don't know it. It's just not it's just not there anymore. Yeah. Mark Boland, he was already kind of like an like an aging rock star at this point. Mm -hmm. And he had just gotten sober from drinking and doing drugs. And he was like planning on making this huge comeback. When what's better than to have like a hot new punk band like open for him? Yeah. To bring the kids. The kids come to see the damned and then they stay for T-Rex. Right, or people go see T-Rex, <laughs> yeah. but then they get a nice surprise of the dance. It's a great fucking tour. It's a great idea. Yeah, it, I mean, it worked for both of them. This know? one actually worked out. This one worked great. <laughs> the Dandy in the Underworld tour, uh, the guys got along great with Mark. There were no egos on this tour. Mm-mm. He was kind generous yes they could ride the big tour bus <laughs> with him yeah, no he, extra cost <laughs> and he just he gave him advice he mentored them yeah yeah he was fantastic they had long talks together he offered any advice he could to the young guys uh and the bands both played great the tour gave the damn tons of exposure no more sniveling click you know hecklers running around and mark bowling was healthy and at the peak of his game and well just for the moment at least for the moment yeah because unfortunately just six months later mark bowling died in a car accident just two weeks before his 30th birthday it's fucking awful yeah i mean mark, mark bowling is one of the true tragedies uh of rock music didn't die from drugs didn't die from drinking just a fucking car accident yeah it was just it, it was just one of those things and it was really sad that the guys in the damned were really sad they went to the funeral and uh i think they remember um they they were sitting in the car at the at the should i even say this go ahead they went to the funeral and they were sitting in the car and they were just like they were sad but they were also really amused with the fact that there's these electronic buttons for the windows to go up and down <laughs> in the car and they thought that was really cool <laughs> <laughs> Gotta take the little pleasures where you can. And, <laughs> yes, and they even put some music together, kind of like in honor of, of Mark, yeah. uh, which you'll you will listen to in the third episode. Hell yeah! So after the tour with T Rex, the Damned achieved yet another first. After Triple D peaked in the British charts, the Damned became the first British punk group to tour America. Now, unlike the disastrous and badly planned American tour the Sex Pistols would undergo, where they mostly toured the Deep South, again, there are books written about how fucking awful that tour was, (laughs) the Damned began their tour of America in the logical place, here in New York City. Oh, we're here! We're here! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're, we're here, that's... We live here. We've lived here for a very long time now. <laughs> it still feels cool, though. Yeah, it's I mean, it, cool. do, it does still. It does still. You know, I still. I know New York is. I know New York isn't even the same as it was when you know we first moved here back in the like mid two thousands. But man, I still fucking love this place. Yeah, it's still great. It's still fun. <laughs> well, specifically, the Dan played their first American show at where else but CBGB's co-build with the Dead Boys. 
crazy they were punk yeah they they were uh, like you know everyone's like oh they're scared of the sex pistols or you know everyone was scared of the ramones when they first came everyone thought the ramones were an actual street gang coming from new york now the dead boys those you got to be scared of those guys from <laughs> cleveland <laughs> yeah yeah don't be scared of the fucking assholes from forest hills be scared of the assholes from Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of stories about them and please kill me. Yeah. Really fun. You read it. Yeah. But um, so we're in April 1977, right? And this is when the Dead Boys were regulars at CBGB's. Because the Dead Boys had just relocated to New York City from Cleveland. They got their start in Cleveland, then right. did the thing. We're like, we're, we're going to go where the punk is. Let's fucking go to New York City. Exactly. And the damn, they were getting ready to go to New York City. Uh, they were in the UK. Uh, they're getting everything together. And everyone was telling them, like, what violent, raging nightmares the dead boys are. They're like, oh, yeah, they're going to beat you up, guys. They are. <laughs> so the damn goes to New York. He, they meet the dead boys. They just meet each other. And they loved each other. <laughs> they became the best of friends. The nicest guys ever. They said about each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and also the audience. The audience loved the damned yeah their cbgb shows went fucking great oh it was so right up their alley well except for a run-in with patty smith wow we're gonna talk about that (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it was the same like fun stuff this is when uh captain sensible is finally like wearing his like signet his signature beret Mm -hmm. you know and sunglasses and and also sometimes wearing a tutu Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) on the third night the dead boys went up they actually did go up they were uh they put on these masks that they like kind of photocopied of the pictures of the members of the band so they all put on these masks as the band and they played Anarchy in the UK. <laughs> Just to be fun assholes. <laughs> but then the dam jumped up on stage and you know what? They're like, we'll sing along with you. It's, it was like a fun party. That's really fun. And one of the fun, cool things is that when the dam uh, were in New York City, the Rolling Stones heard about this and they sent the members <laughs> pies, champagne, flowers, and three busty women, or as they call them, Ladies of the night. <laughs> okay, the Rolling. I got my own feelings about the Rolling Stones, but sometimes, sometimes they can be great. It's uh, sometimes they can be fun. And so, <laughs> but the fun part though is that the band was like, "What are we gonna do with all these pies?" I know what we're gonna do with all these pies. They just threw them into the audience. They had a big food fight. I mean, they had the time of their lives. Yeah, they really did. A uh, captain fell off stage at one point, and he fell on his base. But then he's, I'm okay. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, rat through a chair into the crowd. Someone yelled, "You're so bad! I love you." <laughs> <laughs> 
That's very much. That's a very New York thing to say. Yes. <laughs> and then last night, the last night they were all going to play together. Patty Smith was booked because she was coming back from her neck injury, mm-hmm. and uh, she was not a fan. No, she wasn't a fan. But honestly, back then, from everything that I've read, I love Patty Smith. Don't get me wrong. Fucking love the first few albums. Great. We went and saw Patty Smith uh, last read year. The books, yes. Read the books. Like, but yeah, she sounds like a gigantic pain in the ass Total back snob. in the seventies. Yeah, yeah I, know, I know. It <laughs> like, sucks. she seems very nice now. Like, I think Patty Smith grew up a lot. Uh, but back in the like mid seventies, early seventies, late se- all throughout the seventies, mm-hmm. Patty Smith sounds like a very difficult person to to deal with well there is always a stage in your life uh, you know where you're going through this phase where you take yourself very very seriously yes i think that was her part uh, yeah. uh, the part in her life yeah know? and and you know it might have been necessary because you know those that was the time when she put out her best music you know like in in the 70s yeah, horses yeah it's i mean great. yeah i mean the eastern i mean these are all fucking great albums uh but she was also uh uh difficult she kicked the dam out of the dressing room. She's like, "My dressing room now." Yeah. You know? Well, uh, the other thing too is that the the dam were supposed to, the dam and the dead boys were supposed to headline that night, and then Patty Smith kicked him down to the matinee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why she got the dressing room. Yeah. <laughs> she she didn't want to deal with these boyish antics, which mm-hmm. you know, uh, understandable. I to get a point. it. Yeah, I get it. And Hilly Crystal, uh, he the owner of CBGBs, uh, he said that they the dam sounded so awful the first night. They got better the second night. The third night, cool. And then by the fourth night, they finally improved. But the reviewers, the people who reviewed the live shows to see The Damned, went the first night. Uh. So they got these terrible reviews. Even CBS and Sire Records came to see them. Uh. And Sire Records was, of course, like they were the the ones that was putting out all the CBGB's bands. Yes, Ramones. And and that's when Dead Boys got a record deal with Sire Records <laughs> and the damn just went they just left yeah it's unfortunate and the rest of the tour you know it was also a bit up and down because uh, yeah. you know while the band they expected to do well in Boston like they said th- like Boston's a rock and roll town like right. we're gonna yeah <laughs> yeah it's gonna Boston, go great it's gonna go great uh Beantown didn't uh respond positively to the damned either no well Boston was hilarious because the audience of two dozen people didn't seem to care at all about the damned so they played the whole night the way they wanted to uh but these guys were just sitting there eating pizza, just staring at them. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, we're not getting a good reaction. The next night, uh, the band goes up, they play like new rows, and then they grab a table and some chairs and some pizza, put it all up on the stage, and just sat down with their instruments, <laughs> eating pizza. Having conversations between themselves. Yeah, yeah, they're just talking. And they're like, welcome to our living room, guys. <laughs> if you're not going to do anything, we're not going to do anything. Oh, should we play a song? Okay, well, let's play a song. And then they play a song, and then they come back and sit down. It's like, look, <laughs> You see, we could sit on our asses just like you, you fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? The fun thing is that they kind of won the audience over because they figured out what was going on. And they started a little pizza throwing food fight at each other. And they, eventually they finally got up and, you know, had a good time. And finally won them over. I mean, that's yes. that's nice. I mean, that that's the cool thing about the damned is that they, it, you know, even goes back to like Dave Vanian taking off his shirt when everything went wrong and Mount DeMarson and like him acting like Iggy Pop and trying to keep the audience, trying to to keep the attention of the crowd because when you're playing live like and the crowd doesn't give a shit uh that's sometimes harder than the than the crowd 
hating you. Yes. Because uh, when the crowd doesn't give a shit, like it is, it's like almost some sort of weird social thing where you do just sort of, okay, let's just get through this. Let's just play. Let's just get to the end of our set so we can get the fuck out of here and go have a beer and talk about how fucking awful this is. But the dam didn't do that. And when the dam were faced with indifference, they changed up their act. Like they went for it. Like they tried. Like they couldn't stand to not be paid attention to. Yeah, they throw beer at you. Yeah. <laughs> Better fucking dance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's you know, if you don't, if you hate the damned, like that would be that's fine. But indifference, they couldn't deal with. And that's the thing is that sometimes when uh, you do something like that, like you're just kind of a dick. Uh, but sometimes when you do that, you discover something new. Like you discover a new way to do shit. And you know, suicide did it. The dam did it. And that's really bands that I really respect is the ones that keep going. Even when people don't give a shit, it's like, okay, you don't give a shit. Let me try something different instead of just doing the same fucking thing over and over again. But while it was the crowd that was somewhat hostile in Boston, it was a fellow band that got rubbed the wrong way by the damned at the Whiskey A Go-Go in Los Angeles. But all of this was sort of related back to what happened in New York City. I know. It was, what, they sent a telegram? <laughs> <laughs> they talk. People talk. I guess they call them up. They, they did phone calls. Yeah, well, they, well, I guess that's what probably happened. Patty's was like, you're not going to believe this. Yeah. These guys were such assholes. <laughs> Tom yeah. Berlain picks up the phone. Yeah, yeah. Because when the damned arrived at the Whiskey Go-Go, they found word that their conflict with Patty Smith had reached Tom Verlaine and the rest of television. story's a little disappointing to me just a little bit because you know marquee moon you know but marquee moon the the song that that yeah uh, the album that that song's on like it's in my top five albums of all fucking time love television yeah love television like especially that album and especially television at this time uh but i guess this is more to do with loyalty than anything yeah that's what happened as soon as the damn showed up they're like hey we're ready to play rat's got his sticks all right we're good <laughs> to go and they're like uh you guys aren't playing tonight you guys are kicked off the after two shows and they're like what i, I mean they kind of figure it out they pissed off patty smith yeah but uh, the fun thing is like they're like we still like television <laughs> so they went to the shows yeah just to check them out mm-hmm. yeah why not yeah, but they just still, but they were not impressed with television live. You said they were kind of boring. Yeah. That's too bad. Hmm. I wonder if I can somewhat relate to that. Because <laughs> we did go see in chat. We did go see television not too long ago. But that was not the, 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 <laughs> many, many years later. It was many, many years later, but it was also 
It was fine. It was fine. It was fine. It was a good time. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, we we had a good night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it was it was fine. however even though the damned were getting absolutely no respect whatsoever from their peers the kids coming up in the punk scene in los angeles welcomed the damned with open arms see the la punk scene had already somewhat begun by the time the damned showed up because los angeles was already home to a band called the weirdos But the thing about the damn coming to town was that they gave everyone in the fledgling scene a reason to get together. In fact, it was at an in-store appearance by the damned that the weirdos were talked into giving another legendary L.A. punk band their first show. That band was the Germs. R.I.P. Darby Crash. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, well, you know, as you said before, like the L.A. punk scene loved, loved the damned. Loved them. It was, they were all looking. I was like, that's that's what it is. Play faster. <laughs> that's perfect. I mean, and also, you know, one of the big uh, scene girls in the, in, during that time who may have met Dave Vanian at the time was his future wife. Yeah, Patricia Morrison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They got mar- and they got married in, in like '96 yes. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Patricia, Mar- yeah, played with the Gun Club and all kinds and of the other bags. Fun. Yeah, the bags, all kinds of great fucking bands. Yeah. So, and so- she's who you have to kill if you want to if you want to get Dave Vanian. Are you talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm already married. Yeah, that's true. That's true. If you ever want to leave me for Dave Vanian, <laughs> which I've had my suspicions. <laughs> For the last few weeks while we've been doing this. <laughs> I have to read it. <laughs> All 
right. So this is like that show that you're talking about with the weirdos headlining at the Orpheum Theater. Uh, the that was the Germs live debut show, right? Uh, they were a drunken mess. It was so bad. It was funny. Mm-hmm. That's how bad it was. <laughs> and of course, you know the germs. Like we might cover the germs. I don't know. It's yeah, like we it, might. it's on the po- it's on the possible pile. Uh, but yeah, the germs. Uh, of course, in the germs was uh, Pat Smear, uh, who was you know later played with Nirvana and is still in the Foo Fighters. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So I mean, these are a lot of people who are really young kids at the time. They're looking up to the Damned. They're loving this. Meanwhile, the Damned were like. Thank you for loving us, but does anyone have a couch we can stay? <laughs> it's just the thing is, is that Tom Verlaine, you know Tom Verlaine? <laughs> he kicked us off this tour. And so they managed to stay, like, they stayed at the Screamers <laughs> apartment backstage pass. Like, whoever could take them in, pretty much. Yeah. Their manager, Jake, put together two nights, for a four-night, uh, four-show run. For the damned at the Starwood. Oh, nice! Yeah, so they so they finally got to play in L.A. because they desperately needed the money. <laughs> they even asked the audience to throw change on the stage to help them fund their flight back home. Oh God! I mean, yeah, I mean, five transatlantic flights is not going to be cheap. It's not cheap. Yeah. And so, I mean, they were so broke. They spent all their money on the, on the flight to L.A. Mm. So they had nothing. So when they were doing the shows at the Starwood, uh, the, fun, the funny thing about it was that uh, they heard that Rod Stewart would like to come and be comped on their VIP list. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. They, they had a list. <laughs> People, they were like, what the fuck? You know, you know, and they were so mad. They're like, you know what? We have no money. No one gets in for free. Okay. <laughs> Everyone has to pay. Even Rod fucking Stewart has to pay. <laughs> No what the is- fuck does Rod Stewart need to be on the list for? Because, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Rod Stewart at that point is already rich. He yeah. does not need to be on the list. Well, everyone wants to give each other comp. Yeah, of course, of course. You pay. Yeah, yeah I know, I know. But <laughs> when you pay, when, but that that's the thing. You pay when it's a struggling band. Like, when, if it's somebody that's big or something like that, like, yeah, you get on the list. But if you're going to see a, a struggling up-and-coming band, you fucking pay, you dickhead. Yeah, Rod Stewart. <laughs> if you're listening, yeah. Rod Stewart. Well, that that's always been the thing with the dam, right? It's like no one is any better than anyone else. It's either you get in with the audience and party or nothing at all. Yeah. And uh, what, and the show was great. It was a great performance. Like uh, Dave was like lighting uh, roadside flares <laughs> <laughs> and like kind of like messing and swinging around over the audience. And they're all like ducking like whoa yeah. like covering uh captain of course was naked mm-hmm. i mean like it was a great performance they, they sounded awesome they were so tight i mean th- there were so many kids that watched this show that really influenced them in so many ways like the dickies formed a band after that show mm-hmm. uh they, they were called the ambassadors of punk rock yeah you know they gave the la punk scene like a real uh, legitimacy well they give it a legitimacy and they, and they just gave them somewhere to go Yes. Like they they gave them a gathering point, you know, and it's the the, the L.A. punk scene. Like, yeah, it had already started before the dam got there, but the dam fucking solidified it. Right. And then, like, so they they had a great time. They they get on that plane. They're like waving goodbye with their, their roses. <laughs> <laughs> they head to San Francisco to two equally amazing shows uh the west coast punk scene they just love them i mean like the damn really brought a lot to that scene like more than the clash did yeah because the damn were more relatable and you know bands like the deals started playing faster yeah i mean it's just the dam's influence on the west coast punk scene i mean it, it reverberated up into the fucking 90s and present day like it, it is them going out and playing the west coast like it changed 
everything. It changed the face of punk and therefore alternative music. Like these and were hardcore. and hardcore. All of these fucking genres came from these few shows that the damned played. Yeah, would the, we're giving them a lot of credit, but we are. I mean, that would the scene have just continued along as it had without the damned? Maybe, but maybe not. Yes, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I don't fucking know, man. You don't know about history. I don't. I don't know how things go. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of what ifs, but I don't fucking know. So after coming back from America, the damned continued touring in their home country and embarked upon a month and a half long tour with another up and coming punk band called the Adverts. That's like the end of a horror movie, but like a fun one when you wake up and you realize your life is over. <laughs> yeah, the slow pan upwards to the sky. Right. The <laughs> From the hospital where you're supposedly safe in. <laughs> and it's the beginning and then the sequel is you see through the eyes of a killer. Yeah, <laughs> Gary Gilmore. Of course, that is what that song is about. It's about uh, Gary Gilmore, who is uh, a, an American criminal uh, who was executed and his, uh, I think his corneas were given to somebody else afterwards. He gave the sight yeah. <laughs> of two New Yorkers. <laughs> Jerry Orbach. That's Jerry Orbach. Oh. He gave the sight, the gift of sight to two New Yorkers and his life to Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's a nice little end joke from people who lived in New York City from 2006 to 2012. There's a, there's a few. <laughs> yeah, the adverts, they did this song. They were an English punk band, right? Uh, that started only a year before. So they only started in 1976. Mm-hmm. Now we're in 1977. <laughs> <laughs> but they already had their um, but they already recorded a single called One Chord Wonders. One Chord Wonders is fucking great. It's awesome. And they recorded it on uh, Stiff Records. Oh. Yeah, thanks to Brian James actually. Oh no shit. Yeah, cuz he saw them perform at the Roxy when they were doing their shows at the Roxy. Mm-hmm. And so he talked to Jake Riviera about them and said, "Hey, you should check these guys out." Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, thanks to Brian. Uh, so, yeah, the adverts were set to open for the damn, also thanks to Brian, <laughs> on a nationwide tour. But uh, Stiff Records promoted the tour as uh, the adverts know one chord, the damn know three. 
Come see all four. Uh, They're so cute like that. <laughs> They're adorable. Again, that's the, that, that's the such the that's the funny thing about the punk back in the days that, and this, especially in the UK, is that all of the older people thought that it was the end of the world. We look at it now as like that is adorable. So cute. <laughs> <laughs> so this tour with the adverts, uh, it, it was kind of like the Sex Pistols. What they had to deal with with their Anarchy tour. Mm-hmm. A lot of gigs were canceled the last minute. And there was actually one time they, when they played uh, Southampton University mm-hmm. where the bar staff refused to work that night. So they just, well, they just played a show with no drinks. Okay. So, you I'm know. sure some people snuck in some drinks here and there. I would. <laughs> <laughs> you ever been to a uh, dry wedding? <laughs> Everyone's packing. Everyone's packing that hip blast. <laughs> yeah. And it was always fun for them because they got along great, the adverts and the damn. Like uh, like the one time the drummer from the adverts uh, pushed Dave Vanian uh, down like a flight of stairs while he was in a baby stroller. <laughs> <laughs> made him dislocate his shoulder. <laughs> they had to gig- they had to cancel a few gigs because of that. Of course, it was of course. all in good fun. <laughs> Well, that's the thing about the damned is that, you know, we've talked a lot on this episode and a little bit the last episode uh, about how many people like didn't get along with the damned. And really what it was is that people who didn't get along with the damned were the people who took themselves very seriously. Mm -hmm. The Sex Pistols, The Clash, Patti Smith, like all of these people took themselves very, very seriously. But bands that didn't, bands and artists that didn't like the adverts, Mark Bolin, you know, those guys had nothing but the nicest things to say about the Dems. Like, we had a fucking fantastic time. Dead boys. Dead boys, yeah. Great time with the dead boys. Yeah, because the dead boys were also dicks. (laughs) (laughs) No, they weren't dicks. They just, well, kind of. I mean, Stiff Bader's had his... uh, He had his moments. He had his moments, yeah. Well, we'll definitely get more into the dead boys uh, when we do our Ramones episode and do a, a super deep dive into the New York City scene in 1977. Price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But we're okay, so we're back at the adverts tour, of course. Uh, the four chords tour, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one gig that was uh, that was the biggest one where it was a, a Lincoln Drill Hall that they played. Which city's that in? That's in Lincoln, <laughs> Lincolnshire, Lincoln, UK, Lincolnshire. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and this is where there was like dozens of skinheads trying to like you know they were breaking glasses against the wall they were smashing windows uh some of them stormed in with one guy shouting prepare yourself for a mass riot (laughs) so british so british prepare everybody everyone we're all together is everybody hydrated (laughs) everybody ready okay let's go then 
And then eventually, obviously, they called the cops and they yeah. ki- they kicked the skinheads out, so the dam could finally play. All great and good, but something we don't realize is that when you kick somebody out or many, many angry people out, when you have to leave, guess who's outside? <laughs> they don't go away. The they don't go home. No. So they the the, the damned in the adverts they go outside after the show and they see like their tires were slashed, mm-hmm. uh, windows broken into their vans, and they're just like, "We need to escape." Yeah. Which they did, luckily. Luckily. Yes. How did they get away if the, their tires were slashed? I guess they had spares. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really quickly. <laughs> so after coming out of their tour with the adverts, the dam began to face new pressures from stiff records. See, Triple D had charted, but the company hadn't seen a return, and Stiff was pressuring the band to write a second album real goddamn soon. So, partly thinking that bringing in a second guitarist might help speed along the process of writing a second album, Brian James insisted that the damned hire a second guitarist. Or at least... Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. There's been a lot of contention in our household over the last week as to the addition of a second guitarist in the damned. Marcus... But I think, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. well, just, uh, I mean, I've read uh, this book uh, Brian J- uh, on Brian James and, and also with interviews and stuff that you can see that where Brian James said, like, yeah, yeah he didn't really talk to the rest of the band about it. He kind of just said, this is what we're going to do. The rest of the band were like, well, fine, I guess, if that's really what you want. They didn't really want it. Well, Rad Scaby said uh, in, uh, in the book that I read, he's like, yeah, Brian brought in a second guitarist. Fuck if I know why. <laughs> Brian said it's because he needed a fuller live sound. It was all about the live music because Captain Sensible was really busy getting naked and spilling beer all over and just having a really good time. But who's going to keep up with the music while Captain Sensible is being Captain Sensible? Right. And and Brian didn't want to change that. Right. You know? And Brian, but Brian James also said that he brought in a second guitarist to help with writing the second album. What time is it in England right now? <laughs> I know you have Skype because I do believe it's because of the live music and also because they they wanted like a double X like you know MC5 sound yeah they wanted they wanted to fill out the sound or at least Brian James wanted to fill out the sound nobody else gave a fuck really or at least they didn't really they're like "Ah, all right it's hard to be the leader yeah it really is and so another Melody Maker ad was published that said interesting guitarist into Stooges Damned MC5 wanted for name high energy band. I like that they put their own band in there. I like that they put their own band second. (laughs) (laughs) It was more it was more important for them to have their second guitarist be into the Stooges than to be into the Damned. Well, they knew they knew where they they landed on that. Yeah. The man they ended up hiring was Robert Edmonds, who eventually came to be known as Lou. Adorably short for lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> they called him a lunatic just because uh, he just was unfazed by all the, their antics. Actually, yeah. he would sometimes get involved in some of the antics. Lou was only 19 years old at wow. the time. Well, and, and I mean, the other guys were like, what, 22, 23? Yeah. Yeah. Fucking old. Yeah. <laughs> to this 19-year-old guy. And, you know, he really did fit in with the band, more or less. Uh, but, in the great, uh, but in the long run, it just didn't really work out. Yeah. 
Now, the interesting thing about bringing in a second guitar player was that the logical decision would have been to bring in a bass player and have Captain Sensible move to guitar. Brian couldn't trust Captain Sensible to really go up and play lead guitar. Well, I uh, don't think because, well, I think that Captain Sensible, he's like a guy, I don't know, I, I get it because if... I'm in a job that I don't care about. I'm the worst fucking employee you will ever have. Like, I'm fucking awful. But if it's a job that I'm passionate about and a job that I care about, I'm the hardest worker that you're ever going to fucking meet. And I think Captain Sensible didn't care about playing bass because Captain Sensible was first and foremost a guitarist because he did end up becoming uh, the guitarist in The Damned. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he did. he had to step up eventually, but... I think uh, maybe Captain Sensible and Brian James just wouldn't work as well together as Brian James and Rat Scabies, how they like came together and they're like, this is cool. Yeah, I mean, it really could have been. I mean, but that's the thing is that it was also kind of a clash of egos because it's really, it is a matter of argument as to who's the better guitarist, Captain Sensible or Brian James. And nobody in the damned in 1977 really wanted to have that fucking fight. Like, <laughs> like nobody, uh, I think they thought that, I, 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 they might have thought, I mean, there's a speculation, they might have thought that if they had Captain Sensible and Brian James working against each other rather than together with both guitar, with, you know, two guitars in the band, that it might have tore the band apart. Um, but of course, it's it gonna really, happen. it's gonna happen anyway. So the band brought in Lou, which added more power, but no real dynamic. Because uh, from what Rat says, um, Lou played Brian's parts and Brian played less. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that was certainly on display when the Damned played the second and final punk rock festival in Mont de Monson. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was the second and the last. Yeah. Well, I mean, the dam played the first night. They shared the bill with uh, the bands that they knew, like uh, the Police, the Boys, and the Clash. Mm -hmm. Then this was back when the the Police were a little a little more punkier, uh, a little more raga influenced, a little less yeah. rock sad, <laughs> <laughs> more. <laughs> like more of that than uh yeah oh, right, right. Right. i mean actually i guess that is it's the yeah. same song yeah. <laughs> 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 if you really actually if you if you feel like a, a little giggle go on youtube and look up the version of roxanne in which they speed up the song uh like uh, they speed up the song every single time sting says roxanne uh it's really it's fun okay yeah. <laughs> it'll make you laugh so at the show, uh, when the Clash were playing, Captain Sensible was, of course, fucked up. Yeah. And he got even more fucked up. Because while they were playing, Captain Sensible decided, like, oh, this will be great. He threw a bunch of stink bombs all the way around. <laughs> <laughs> and the Clash were like, ah, joke's on you. We have no sense of smell. <laughs> and he also did it during Police and Thieves. <laughs> yeah. Which is, like, I get if you're doing during, like, White Riot. Because you're doing during White Riot, everyone's dancing around, everyone's having a good time, it's high energy. But Police and Thieves is a fucking Junior Mervin cover. It's Police and thieves in the street. What's that smell? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like he was cute <laughs> to do this. He just no, did it. It's a down-tempo number, but hey, you know, it's it's the captain. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the fun part, it was that the security, uh, the security at the festival threw Captain off stage where he landed on a stage barrier taint first Ooh. yeah oh yeah uh, it knocked him out so they had to actually they had to call an ambulance 
<laughs> but then he came to in the ambulance, fucking just tore the doors open, ran out, and started jumping on the parked cars to get back to the festival, which I heard later he did and joined them for some drinks. Wow. Yes. <laughs> uh, to be 22 and indestructible again. Yeah. <laughs> but so the next day, the Clash and the Damned called a meeting, a very Godfather-esque meeting mm-hmm. where there's a golden telephone <laughs> passed around and they made peace with each other. <laughs> Your son died. I lost a son. Let's just get trashed and have a good time. <laughs> and yeah, the, the clash and the, and the dam, that after that, uh, things calmed down between them. Like, yeah. I think there had to be like the, the... I think you're right. Yeah, your son died. My son died. <laughs> let's just... But that, let's find... Really this talk isn't about working. Taints. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our, our set was ruined. Your taint is injured. Let's make peace. Yes. Before things really get out of hand. <laughs> So after Mont de Marsan, Mont de Marsan, <laughs> you're enjoying this a lot. The fuck, I'm worse at French. Jesus, the dam got to work in earnest on their second album, Music for Pleasure. Now, concerning the producer for Music for Pleasure, the Damned recruited Nick Mason, Pink Floyd's drummer, which was, at the time, a highly controversial pick for a punk band. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, famously, like, Johnny Rotten, when he auditioned for the Sex Pistols, he was wearing a t-shirt that said, I hate Pink Floyd. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I thought you were going to say when he auditioned for Pink Floyd. (laughs) How did that work out? But the thing about Pink Floyd is that they are, to say the least, a band with a complicated history. Their original singer, Sid Barrett, was actually the dam's first kind of sort of choice for producer, because Sid Barrett is fucking fantastic. Moving around in a trench coat with the satin on trail Seems to be all around it Those two Sid Barrett albums, because there, there's only two, uh, Barrett and the Madcap Laughs are fucking great. They're mm. so fucking good. And the you know early Pink Floyd with Sid Barrett, like Piper at the Gates of Dawn, like all that shit is really fucking fantastic. And if you're if you only know Pink Floyd from like Uncomfortably Numb or you know Dark Side of the Moon or something like that, and you're like ah fuck Pink Floyd, I don't really like it very much. Go check out that early psychedelic stuff because it's a different band, right? And and, and also why don't you like that? <laughs> <laughs> I can see being like fine with it. Yeah, because I, I, yeah. I, I, it, it is it has uh, definitely settled into. To classic rock land like how many times have i heard money on classic rock not uh, enough <laughs> four billion <laughs> uh and also if you want uh other like pink floyd like kind of right after sid barrett but before all the rest of that stuff uh metal uh is a absolutely fantastic uh pink floyd album it's my favorite pink floyd album it's uh fucking great especially if you're like a ween fan or something like that ah, gotcha. go, go check out metal 
but, but we didn't get Sid Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. But as like people who are really into the history of music know, Sid Barrett had already broken his fucking mind with a combination of LSD abuse and possible schizophrenia back at the beginning of the 70s. And in 1977, he was only about a year away from moving in with his mother, which he continued to do like pretty much until he died as a relative recluse in 2006. Like, he would come out every once in a while, like, he would sign some stuff, and, like, people, but for the most part, he was like, could you just leave me alone? Music destroyed my life. Like. Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> LSD destroyed my life. Oh. But he always, you know, but I, I think he, uh, he associated Pink Floyd and his days in the music industry with, like, well, if I hadn't gotten in all that, like, I wouldn't be an acid casualty uh, for the rest of my fucking life. Um, and yeah, and he unfortunately, uh, and tragic, not tragically died in 2006. He was ready to die. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yep, yeah, that's Sid Barrett. And, but concerning the damned, you know, the story has become a bit of a legend over the years. That, like, you know, Sid Barrett almost produced the second damned album. Or they were like waiting in the studio and then he didn't show up or something like that's all crap. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's all crap. Uh, the captains, uh, has since said that they only suggested Sid Barrett as like a joke. They're like, boy, that'd be fucking great if we got Sid Barrett. <laughs> but, you know, they didn't, they knew they weren't going to get him. Next best thing was Nick Mason. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, because they were going to get Nick Lowe to do it because uh, Nick Lowe, uh, uh, we, we all know he recorded their uh, first album. Mm-hmm. But- and so it goes and all so on and so forth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, were you just saying so it goes like the song? <laughs> yes. The song so it goes, comma, so on and so forth. Got it. <laughs> and Nick Lowe didn't even want to produce their second album. I mean, he's like, I, I did what I could, and I, I just need to walk away from this. You know, I mean, he actually also heard his their, their songs as they were recording music for pleasure. And he actually said in an interview with Melody Maker that their new album they were planning was a bit dodgy. <laughs> so he's already shitting it on it already. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it... it the thing is that the album was supposed to be like ostensibly psychedelic, which is, you know, why they got Nick Mason in there and why they were talking about getting Sid Barrett. But really the whole thing, it just falls flat. Like music for pleasure totally falls flat. But I mean, there are a couple of solid songs here and there. Uh, they're just a little same-ish. Yeah, well, it sounds to me like a first album. Yeah. You know, if Music for Pleasure was their first album and Damn 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 was their second album, then you could be like, oh, this totally makes sense. Yeah. But instead, it was just reversed. (laughs) (laughs) But what Brian James was saying, like, we were trying to be a little experimental. We were doing the best we could with what we had. Yeah. Well, let's listen to a song from Music for Pleasure. I mean, this is one of the more solid ones. I think your uh, opinion that it sounds like a first album, I think that's fucking spot on. I mean, it, it really does. I mean, it, I mean, it kind of even sounds like a demo record, you know, where kinda, they're yeah. it, because it sounds like a band trying to figure out their sound. 
And the thing is that that's kind of what it is. Well, because a lot of the riffs came from uh, when Brian James was in Bastard. So, I mean, this the is... The first album came from Bastard. Yes, yeah. yes, that's what I mean. And uh, so Brian James, he's getting the rest of the band members together. He's like, hey, guys, uh, any ideas? <laughs> we need to put this together. Come on. Get, no, put... Yes, get a pencil. Good, good. We need to write this together. So they were pretty much writing a first album. Yeah, they really were because this one was the first collaborative album it was the one where like captain sensible and rat scabies were like i don't know how to write a fucking album i don't know how to do this shit all right well rat scabies did write stab your back yes in he the did first one. well but stab your back is a minute long I and know. it's just stab y'all back stab y'all back <laughs> <laughs> i know it's, he's like i only know how to do high school chants or something <laughs> Now it's time to do an actual song, which is really fun when Rat Scabies and Captain Sensible got together and Rat Scabies like, okay, move your fingers on the guitar. Yes, yes. This is how people write songs, right? Keep doing that and I'll come back with lyrics. Well, you know, the old cliche that gets mentioned again and again when talking about music for pleasure uh, is that, you know, you have your whole life to write the first album and six months to write the second. And it's definitely true for Brian James. Oh yeah, you know he'd been he'd been working on those riffs and working on those songs uh, for Triple D for fucking years. And that's the, and the other thing is that like in addition to trying to write the second album, the Damned were also constantly on tour. And I can definitely attest to the fact. That it's very fucking hard to be creative <laughs> on the road. <laughs> it's difficult. You know, it's it's something... I mean, you get used to it eventually. Uh, but in the beginning, and especially being fucking... 22, 25, or maybe I think Brian James is maybe like 24, 25 at this point. And you're adding, uh, what, speed and alcohol to that? Yeah, I mean, thankfully. <laughs> Stirring the, that? Yeah, exactly. Like, you're partying every night as well. I mean, thankfully, the damned never got into heroin. Like, they never touched it. They just, you know, they like speed and they like to get drunk. Yeah, they were like, I'd never even thought of it. Yeah. Why would I even do that? Have you seen Iggy? <laughs> like, today. <laughs> and that's the thing, is that, you know, even though... The songs on Triple D have been worked over and experimented upon for years prior to the formation of the dam. I mean, half, if not two thirds of Triple D can still be described as simply like pretty good. Yeah. Like that's, that's what we talked about when, when we talked about Triple D is, that, you know, there's three classics, two, uh, one great cover and a bunch of other songs are like, this is pretty good. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like, I, I like this, but they're not. It's not like a fucking classic album on par with like Funhouse or right. Suicide's first record. No, I mean, well, the the Idiot Box is pretty good. Idiot Box is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, there are some good songs on there. And, you know, that song's about uh, when the damn got kicked off of the television show at, 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 in L.A. Yeah. And so they wrote the song called Idiot Box, meaning television, and they even named them. <laughs> Tom Verlaine, you may, you may be art, but you ain't rock and roll. <laughs> they did oh. a diss track about television. Yeah. <laughs> And then, like, Eminem and Dre and the rest of them, like, that's a good idea. That's a great idea. Actually, politics is a diss track on the Sex Pistols and the Clash. Yeah. So it's this... like, yeah, I don't need no politics to dance. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hear a little bit of Idiot Box.
And I also noticed they also did it in the style of television. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed that too. Just weren't quite good enough to really <laughs> get a television. So after the recording of Music for Pleasure was over and done with, The Damned began to fall apart. Because the reviews weren't good. The fans didn't really like it. Music for Pleasure was just... Hey, it's not. I mean, that's what the damn ironic yeah. <laughs> for a name. Because <laughs> you know, even the damn didn't like it. They were like, ah, yeah, yeah, nobody liked it. Nobody liked what they were doing at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not the because at the at the time it was just considered like this huge misstep, this gigantic disaster of an album. And going back and listening to it uh, now, it's not bad. It's it, not bad. It's not like a fire festival album. <laughs> it's not like where they're just like, fuck it, we're just gonna do it. Yeah. And and then we'll see what happens. It, it, it was just like they had what they had at the time, and they, and they tried to make it work as best they could. Yeah, I'm just never going to listen to music for pleasure. Like, if I come across music for pleasure in a record store, I'm just going to go, nah. And I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to buy it, you know, just because it's not... Like, when Mick Jones said, like, the damned weren't essential, like, music for pleasure, that is not essential. Like, it's it's just not, it's not an essential damned album. Well, you know what? Captain Sensible agrees with you, because he says he doesn't even have that album. <laughs> <laughs> so when the dam started falling apart, a whole bunch of shit happened all at once. First, Jake Riviera, owner of Stiff Records and the dam's manager, left to manage Elvis Costello full time. What a dick! <laughs> well, I mean, I get it. But he did fuck it up for the dam big time. Yeah. Because EMI was interested in the dam for a three year deal. With an advance of 50,000 pounds. The curse of the damned! There it is. <laughs> but when Jake left stiff, the deal fell through. Yeah. So imagine the guys, like, this close to, <laughs> to buy a cheeseburger. <laughs> because they weren't making any money, really. They really weren't. I mean, they were making a little bit of money off of live shows, but... Uh, not a whole bunch, because yeah, like I said, like Triple D had charted, but but it's the thing, it charted in uh, in England, only in England. It was like number fifty four in England. I think that was the highest that it got, uh, which uh, in America is pretty fucking big because we have a lot more people than, <laughs> than England does. You know, it's just a bigger market. Like number fifty four in England, like you're not you're not making uh, house money, right? You know, and music for pleasure just. It just didn't sell well because it just wasn't great. And with Jake Riviera, like, he handled it badly. He fucked over the damn. But, you know, going to manage Elvis Costello, like, it was the right decision business-wise. It was, you know? but he just left them. Yeah, like, he just left them. He fucked them over. It was the wrong way to do it. He it was, was the, the fifth member of the band, and he just, I mean, Dave Robinson, the other co-owner of Stiff Records, went up to the band and said, Jake's gone. Oh, He's just gone. He didn't even fucking talk to the damn. He didn't even say goodbye. Oh, what an asshole. And Dave Robinson's like, I'm your manager now. Please don't shit on my bed. <laughs> This is a risky thing we're both taking on. I mean, that's the thing about Elvis Costello, though, is that I did not realize until we uh, we started doing this series, uh, and I really, really started getting into British music like around this time. Like not just the more well known people, but like a lot of the side artists. 
everyone sounded like Elvis Costello. Like, I didn't realize just how hugely influential Elvis Costello was. And that's the thing, is that Elvis Costello in the first place is sort of, like, I'm fine with Elvis Costello, but, like, a copy of Elvis Costello, it's like the definition of bland. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, boy, here's a load of mayonnaise for you. <laughs> that sounds dirty. <laughs> yes, it does. Then... During what was supposed to be a fairly routine short European tour to make a little bit of money, Rat Scabies had what some call a nervous breakdown, but Rat just called an excuse to get out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Remember the, the one juror to get out of the O.J. Simpson trial case? Uh-huh. And she just like ran out and took off her clothes? <laughs> It was like that. Okay. Actually, it was exactly like that. <laughs> kind of, sort of. There were other mitigating circumstances here. There was a couple of last straws. I, I like to simplify things. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Rat was not happy uh, with the banded time. Uh, he didn't want to. He didn't even want to record the second album. Yeah. Or even go on the European tour. But he stuck with it because he just didn't know what else to do. But during the European tour, like, it was just getting worse and worse. I mean, like, Rat Scabies was dealing with Dave's, uh, Dave Vanian's new wife. He, re- he got married mm-hmm. just, just earlier before. Uh, I mean, after meeting this woman for, like, uh, after 10 days, I think they, like, got engaged and got married. So yeah. this was a quick thing. This is a woman, like, he barely knew. And Brian had his girlfriend. So both of these women, I mean, uh, they were had they were having to deal with traveling with the damned. And Rat Scabies is going off and doing his, you know, crazy antics, cr- climbing up, like, drain pipes and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And the women were just not, in, like, amused at all. They just weren't into it, They're yeah. just like, guys, can you stop yeah. acting like assholes? <laughs> they were just all yelling at each other. It was not going well. Yeah, you know? guys. And then that's the thing is that when the girlfriends start yelling about him, the, the boyfriends are like, can yeah. You please. Can, yeah. <laughs> can you please? Please, I'm just, I just... I'm just trying to keep the peace uh, yeah. between everyone. <laughs> Eric is just not the like, problem. Could you just like, like meet me ha- halfway here, man? Just like <laughs> meet me halfway, and then it'll be fine. Exactly. <laughs> while Rat Scabies is dangling a, while Rat Scabies is dangling like a roadie off the balcony, being <laughs> like, but, but this is oh, fine, <laughs> fine. Just I mean, let him back home. I mean, when everyone's adults, that's one thing. But when you're in your early twenties, like, man, you don't want people there telling you what to do when you're having a fucking good time. <laughs> like, you want to just go. And then that's all. Okay. (laughs) They nearly killed a man. (laughs) Oh, that sounds like an exaggeration. (laughs) (laughs) So Rats gave you, he played two dates with them, right? This was like late September. The first in Nancy, France. Mm -hmm. I think you say, you you say Nancy. Nancy! That's probably it. Yeah. And um, but that show was stopped uh, because there was a riot that was started by the French right wing party. Ah, uh, yeah, they were big on starting riots. The right wing was really big on starting riots in the seventies. <laughs> yeah. In Europe. And yeah, yeah, that was the night I think Captain Sensible uh, passed out on stage, which was also also another memorable thing. <laughs> <laughs> but the second show was in Colmar, also in France. Uh, Rats Gavies told everyone who, it was his birthday, so he just got a ton of drugs. <laughs> it was not. His his birthday. His birthday's in July. But the funny thing is, when he tells the story now, it was his birthday. <laughs> so after the show, Raskabies, he goes to his hotel. Uh, who knows why? Mm-hmm. He probably wants to start a new party, but the concierge stopped him because they d- didn't realize that he was actually staying at their hotel. Yeah. I mean, this guy was just trashed and yeah, a, a big mess. Yeah, he's out of his fucking mind. He looks like a punk. Like, it's... I. I 
I get it. They're like, do you want me to call the cops? <laughs> you want me to call the cops? Rats gave his pissed off. He just threw all these, like, uh, you know, all the, you know, in the hotel lobby area, like, they, they have the couches. He just grabbed all the couches, the pillows, and just started throwing them around. <laughs> like, just throwing a tantrum, yeah. pretty much. And then, so they just got security to throw him out. He gets out in the street, and he gets jumped by a few French guys who just happened to be walking by. Yeah. Just starting a fight. And as he's getting, like, pummeled by these guys, he looked up, and he saw the rest of the damn members just standing there watching him. Yeah. And he was just like, it's supposed to be us against them, and now it's it's not like that anymore. Well, the way he put it in Don't You Wish We Were Dead, the um, the damn documentary, like he's, he is so sad when he's telling this story. Uh, but the way he put it was like, these guys are supposed to be my gang. Like th- This is supposed to be my gang. They're su- we're supposed to look out for each other. We're supposed to protect each other. And, uh, and they didn't step up for me. Uh, so I said, fuck you. See you later. Right. Oh, but Brian tells it different. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> Brian- well, Rat, uh, I'm not quite sure about... Uh, trusting rat sometimes because well, rat ended up doing some pretty dirty shit later on when it comes to real reliability i think uh when it, with the stories it's like brian and dave uh-huh. and then captain and rat <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it de- definitely the ranking is brian most dave right underneath him Rat sorta and Captain not at all. No, no. <laughs> even when, even when he gets it wrong and they tell him he got it wrong, he's like, "I've been saying that for years. <laughs> there are books written already with what I've said." <laughs> and but what Brian said, what happened that night was that Rat Scabies was so trashed, he drank like a bottle of brandy, and he tried to he he got into his hotel room supposedly. He tried to make a campfire in his hotel room and then jumped and. Also tried to jump out the window, but they all pulled him back in. So they thought this guy's having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. So that's why the next day, Ratsgavy's just got enough money just to get home, and he just he just went home. Yeah. Again, in the history of punk, who knows? Who knows? (laughs) Who fucking knows? And so another Melody Maker ad was placed, and John Moss was hired as the new drummer for the Damned. But after the album was released to tepid, if not terrible reviews, I think uh, Bob Geldof from the Boomtown Rats called it awful, awful, awful <laughs> instead of damn, damn, damned, which it's a bit, hard, yeah, it's a bit Bob. harsh, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> after that, you know, the damn started falling apart and then Stiff Records dropped them. And soon after, Brian James, who had written all the songs save two on the damn's classic debut album, left the band. Brian... He didn't just leave the band. He split up the band. Yeah. In his words. Uh, he said he wanted to get more serious with his music. He knew things weren't working anymore, especially with Rat leaving. He's like, Rat and I started this together. Yeah. You know, this doesn't make sense anymore. Uh, and Captain Sensible was just so upset throughout this when, when they had their last like meeting and so Captain Sensible just like walked in to a movie theater he's like one please and he just sat there crying his eyes out while uh, the, the ABBA movie was playing <laughs> so it's just like a lot of like mama mia here we go again <laughs> If a band just sort of disintegrates, like that's one thing. If it, you know, you just play together less and less and less, and and then eventually you're like, are we in a band anymore? And like, no, not really. But when there's a decision made 
to end the band. Like it's like a marriage ending, you know, because the the link between bandmates, like the relationship between bandmates, is very very strong. Uh, and when that ends, it's a blow. It's a very it's a very emotional thing. There's also musicians are quite sensitive sensitive, sensitive boys and girls. Very sensitive. You're not. I know. <laughs> I know you know. <laughs> it's not my fault. It's just who I am. <laughs> and so, on April 8th, 1978, the band played a farewell show in London where Ratscabies hopped on stage and played a second drum kit during the encore. It seemed as if the damned were through. But as we know, both their best albums, as well as Captain Sensible's solo works, were still in the future, even though... Captain's wildly successful career makes zero fucking sense to me. Like, <laughs> I don't know how I love Happy Talk. It's fun. I don't know how many times I've listened to Happy Talk and like sung. You've been been singing around the house and all that, but I cannot figure out how I that was know. one of the biggest I mean, hits of the eighties in the UK. Song, if you play it enough times, you can get a general from Panama to walk out of his house. <laughs> Happy talky talky happy talk. <laughs> happy talky. But it's <laughs> I give up. I give up. You could just take the whole fucking country. <laughs> oh, and that's where we're gonna pick back up uh, for part three of the Damned. Uh, or next episode, we're gonna be talking about the Damned's best albums. You know, Machine exactly. Gun Etiquette. You know, the the Black Album, Strawberries. Like the the Damned's best work uh, is is in episode three, and it's all fucking great. It's so good. I can't tell you how much. Like, I'm so excited to talk about these albums. They're, Me too. they're so fucking good. Uh, and of course, uh, I don't know if I said this on the last episode, but, you know, if you want a playlist of all the songs that we listen to today on this episode, just go to Spotify and type in No Dogs in Space and it comes up on uh, the playlist, uh, on the playlist side of the search. Uh, and Every single one has its very own playlist, uh, and thank you everybody who's uh, who's followed those playlists. We got quite a few people that are uh, that are digging them, and thank you very much for all of the kind words. Yeah, thank uh, you. that we've been getting from everybody. Uh, and of course, if you have a band that uh, you'd like us to hear that we uh, might play uh, at the end of uh, of an episode, we're going to be starting that soon. Send us uh, an email at no dogs in space at gmail dot com. And uh, or if you just have anything you want to say, you know, oh, about yeah. the show, yeah, just just send it over there because you know I'm not on Twitter. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, I think a new thing that uh, that we're going to be starting here pretty soon, maybe do like an an album of the week type thing. Uh, yeah, we've been talking about that. We're like, you know, we're grocery shopping, we're looking around, we're like, how do we make ourselves work more? <laughs> You know We've that's the got it. You know that's the eternal question that I'm always asking: how to work more? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But there's some really great music coming out right now. Yeah. Like I've been making a really a big effort to listen to to new stuff. Like uh, the new uh, Orioles album is really fucking good. Uh, Mush, their new album is really fucking great. But well, you know, maybe we'll start that uh, here in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah be, absolutely. Yeah, it'd be cool shit. Yeah, and the the third part of the series is just going to be, it's going to be kind of like one of those horror movies, like Jason comes back. <laughs> so don't worry. Even though we're telling you to damn this no more, uh-huh. they will rise up from the grave. Abs- oh my God, I just did a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. All right, we'll see y'all next week. My name is Marcus Parks. Carolina Hidalgo. Thank you for listening to No Dogs in Space. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. You were meant for me
price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.